Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOTN. Joined by my guy, as always, Cody Saftik. You guys can follow him at CJ Saftik on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 57, headlined by two budding prospects, at least in the UFC standards. We got Armand Sarukian taking on Polish startup Matosh Gamrot. Uh, very interesting main event here, Cody. Before we get into that, though, how are you doing, my friend? We're talking about the, the show that you got <laughs> coming up this weekend. Shows the, the trials and tribulations of the, the behind-the-scenes of regional MMA Share it with the people. I'm sure they would love to hear about your experience. Yeah, I, I briefly touched on it last or yesterday on the uh, Dogger Paz podcast, but it's just like one thing after the next, right? I mean, they always say if you want 10 fights on your card, plan for 20. In this case, we planned for 20, and we are currently left with like four. We're trying to save another one, five. But, dude, it's honestly everything. Like this morning, it's like, oh, Scott Lamont failed his stress test. He got on a treadmill, and he ran. It's like you have to run 10 minutes on an incline. They say he's got high blood pressure. So immediately they red flag him. They're like, you're done this <laughs> we got another guy's coming from the states coming from florida right test is positive test positive for covid at the airport wasn't allowed to fly in like it's just one thing after the next got this guy patrick connors right this guy's a gangster he fought oh, yeah. he fought in quebec in may right chokes the guy out first round rear naked choke flies out three weeks later down to nova scotia knocked out a guy in 90 seconds and he lives like i don't know two three hours from the venue i contacted him this morning i'm like dude do you want to fight saturday you'd have to Drop everything you're doing, drive to Niagara Falls, stay at the hotel tonight, weigh in tomorrow morning, fight up a weight class, fight some guy that there's no readily footage available on him and he's a killer. Uh, would you would you drop everything you're doing and take this fight on literally less than two days notice? He's like, 100%. I'm like, oh my God, there's a savior to the world. There is fighters out there. Some people are actually about that life. Contact the commission. They're like, nah, I see he fought 14 days ago and you automatically oh, get a 14 day God. suspension, right? So it's like, well, he knocked out the guy in 90 seconds. He took no damage. Automatic 14-day suspension. The commission that sanctioned his last fight gave him a seven-day suspension. They signed off on it. Patrick Connors signed off on it. Ontario Commission? <laughs> no, no, no. That's a New Brunswick rule. That's a maritime rule. In Ontario, 14 days. It's on the 14th fucking day. Won't do it. Try to get him uh, cleared by a neurologist. Won't do it. Try to get the New Brunswick Commission to contact Ontario. Wow. Wouldn't do it. Tried everything. Wouldn't do it. Ask them if we could push the event back. Started at 10. Move this to the last fight. It happens at midnight? <laughs> Passed it. No, that's too cheeky for them because it started on this day. Impossible, dude. Whatever could be done, try to get done. I had strep throat yesterday. It was way worse. Like, terrible couple days. Today, I feel a little bit better. So, like, I won't waste too much time. Uh, we'll get through the show. It is what it is. But like, <laughs> this is like the most stressful week of all time. Anyways, luckily for me, I'm not an investor in the promotion. I'm just a matchmaker. <laughs> so like, I feel shitty about it. But yeah. at the end of the day, life does go on. But uh, I feel for them, right? Because they've done everything to try to accommodate guys, give them good deals, you know, accommodations, like everything, right? They pay well. They're super courteous. And just, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're not the UFC or Bellator, people just don't care about pulling in on fight week. Yeah, that, that's very unfortunate. It seems like the commission really hasn't changed much from when we were planning fights almost 10 years ago for substance gauge combat. So I, I feel for you there. Uh, but if anybody is in or near the Niagara, Niagara Falls area, make sure you guys go check out the show. You know, 
however many fights Cody manages to string together, make sure you guys go check it out, support your boy. And you might even see him cage side as well. You might even be able to say what up to him too. So I'm sure that would add a benefit to going out there uh, and paying the price of admission for that. All right, let's get to the UFC fights here, uh, Cody. And I, I kicked it off by talking about uh, uh, budding prospects in the main event, right? We, we as hardcores know who these guys are. But the casual viewer really doesn't, you know, they probably never heard of these guys, right? Uh, when you have a guy with the nickname or the, the last name Sarukian, they probably don't even know how to pronounce it to begin with. Uh, Gamera, we know he was a superstar over there in Poland with the KSW promotion before coming to the UFC. But the casual viewing fan just doesn't know that. So I feel like this is a, a it's a great main event for a diehard fan, right? But from like a from a promotional perspective, this seems to be something new that they're doing, right? This is like the first time I can remember where guys from a diehard's perspective, these guys deserve to be the be in the main event, but they don't really have much star power, much value behind them. It's not like they're coming off crazy highlight reel finishes. Yeah, they do have finishes, but it's nothing like a spinning back kick or a flying knee or anything like that that you can play on repeat over and over again. Heck, if I'm not mistaken, the last win for Sarukin was Joel Alvarez, where he cut him up, and I believe it was stopped due to cuts and obviously an absolute beatdown as well uh, in that fight. But it's nothing highlight reel-esque that you can pull out. What do you make of this main event from a, from a fan's perspective, a casual fan's perspective? Yeah, I've actually heard that argument a little bit. People were saying this car was a little bit weak and an odd headliner, and I completely disagree. First of all, if, when you're talking about drawing power, I mean, the KSW drawing power is definitely there with Matus Gamera. This guy used to sell out full arenas over in Poland. And he's a giant star in Eastern Europe. And I mean, certainly he comes in here with a 20 and one record, a two time, a two division world champion over in Europe. And his only loss is a debatable split decision in a three round fight. Yeah, I think he's the man. Then also you look at the work that he's done in the UFC since then. I mean, he, he finished Jeremy Stevens in one minute with a Kimura, like nasty. nasty, man. He goes out there and he puts an absolute beating on Carlos Diego Ferreira, breaks a rib. You know what? That's a weird fight. It's a triple stoppage. The doctor stops it on an injury, right? The doctor also stops it on like a TKO due to punches. And uh, they also stop it because he taps due to reading a joke. <laughs> like he broke his rib, got punched a bunch. And then as they were stopping, he got caught with the choke. But it was like, it was a mauling, dude. Gamera yeah. was all over him, right? So I think he's exciting. You look at Taruki and he's finished his last two opponents. Both nice victories. Knocks out Christos Giagos in one round impressive difficult to do and then goes out there and puts an absolute mauling on joel alvarez who people were high up on so you got a guy that's 18 and 2 sorry 16 and 2 18 and 2 my eyes are fucking crapping out on me i guess 18 and 2 versus a guy that's uh 20 and 1 right both guys are viable for a title shot within the next fight or two they're at the top of the game they're one guy's 25 years old one guy's 31 like perfect five round fight actually uh, who does it favor? You got one guy, Matus Gamera, who's fought five rounds a bunch of times. And like a steam engine, he only keeps getting better and better. And then Sarukian, it's only fought in three rounders, but he just looks so goddamn good. Cardio looks so good. It's intriguing. It's badass. I don't know why anybody would complain about this. Oh, casual fans don't know them. Why? Because they're foreigners? Because they have different last names? Is that why casual fans don't know them? They're top-ranked guys in the division. They're exciting prospects. You look at the rest of this card. Neil Magny, perennial uh, fringe contender for 10 years versus Shavkat Rachmanov. Another guy that's probably going to fight for a world title, right? Facts. Guy's 16-0 and 0 with 16 finishes. He's a beast, right? You got Tiago Moises Jagos, fun fight. Umar Nurmagomedov, super stud versus Nate Maness, 3-0. The comeback kid. My boy Chris Curtis versus the BJJ <laughs> world champion Rodolfo Vieira. That's dope. 
Oh, well, you got not, Carlos I'm, I'm Moore not... and Javon Jacquet. Could be cool. Could be cool. Yeah. Morozov versus Peva. Violence. Uh, Mario Batista versus Brian Keller is the second fight on the fucking card. This is a good card, man. So I don't really understand the complaining on like a... I'm a matchmaker. I would take any fight on this card. But I would take any fight on this card. Just give me one. 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 Give me yeah, I appreciate the efforts that they have here. I think it's a good, solid effort, good, solid outing. And to be honest, I like some of the lines. I will admit, by the time you and I do the show on Thursday, a lot of these lines have been hit in the right direction. Yeah. And I feel like some of them have been steamed to a point where you still like it because you think it's going to hit, but you also don't like it as much because you're a little bit weary about, do I want to put a significant investment on it, right? I, I will admit that. But for the rest of it, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be action-packed, and I am looking forward. Yeah, I, I'm not complaining whatsoever. I just found that narrative to, to be hammered over Twitter over the last uh, week yeah. or two once they are actually announced about order and all that stuff. But I'm loving it, man. Every single fight that you talked about and more, uh, there's so much to look forward to in terms of entertainment value and also like the repercussions of the of each fight from a rankings perspective, right? I'm very much looking forward to seeing how these guys get matched up after this, specifically the main event. Um, all right, before we get into the card here, let's just give a quick couple shout outs here. Obviously, first, First and foremost, to the all-star for uh, uh, giving us the platform, as always, to drop this prop and you up show for you guys on a weekly basis. And shout out to, obviously, all of you guys supporting us, watching this show on a weekly basis. The least we ask from you guys is make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below to show the all-star that we are definitely worth keeping around. They're, they're not talking about getting rid of us anytime soon, but the more that you guys stay consistent with it, the more that they see that uh, our show is definitely one of the best that are out there. Secondly, shout out to betonline.ag. If you guys are looking for another bookie to get up uh, and saddle up with, BetOnline is probably the one that you're looking for because they are usually the first people to draw props and odds on uh, most MMA fights, and not just the UFC. We're talking about PFL, Bellator, KSW, uh, even some Canadian promotions as well. I was unfortunately not able to get anything going for Cody's show there, but I know he has another show coming up eventually, and we'll try to lock it up for that. But Bet Online is definitely your go-to spot for uh, MMA, especially if you're a diehard MMA fan. You can bet on almost anything there. And secondly, shout out to CloudBet, which I'm actually going to pull up right here as well to quickly go over the special props that we had for last week's card, the Calvin Cater card, and what's the end? What ended up hitting there? So. First and foremost, uh, I'm going to skip over the over under one and a half because that's not a or sorry over under four and a half for the Cater and Emmett fight since that's not really a, a special prop per se that they dropped for us. The first one was Calvin Cater's significant strikes over under 122 and a half. He hits it by seven and a half. That's an over there. So you can cast that at minus 109. Uh, fight of the night ended up going to the main event as well at plus 900. Josh Emmett and Calvin Cater walk away with that. Uh, the, those honors. And then total finishes on the card. Good lord, that card was a banger. Every almost every single fight, even if it went to a decision, was an absolute banger. There, the over seven and a half finishes hits on that. We end up with a total of nine that night. I believe you could even cash that prop even before like the fourth last fight uh, of the night. So uh, finishes were coming fast and furious that weekend. Uh, and then lastly, total takedowns. Uh, Thirty-three and a half was very very generous. Concerning, we only ended up with 12 that night. So under 33 and a half hits at minus 118. Shout out to anybody that was able to take advantage of those props. Like I said, you can get those props at CloudBet. 
Uh, link is in the description below. We got plenty more props for you guys this week that we'll talk about uh, as we go through this card. Um, I came up with some some pretty cool ones, uh, which I'm very much uh, looking forward to hearing. One, Cody's thoughts on, and two, what other yeah. people are thinking about. Did, as well. those, did those cloud bets from last week get voided because of the lows on Cerrone cancellation? Uh, it, was, it depends on, uh, let's see. Because they usually got it listed for like 14 votes. So if there's a certain okay, amount yeah, of so takedowns yeah, yeah. and stuff right. like that. You're right. No, you're right. So the last two actually did end up getting voided there because it wasn't 14 bouts. It was only 13. The fight of the night would, would still have paid out. And, uh, I, I was, I was my personal angle. I was trying to get all up on that under 33 and a half in the takedowns and it was voided. <laughs> so I was like, Son of a bit. As soon there as Wynn shot the first one and got nowhere with it, I was like, okay, <laughs> okay we're good here. Every other fight was about a minute long. Was, yeah. Who was getting taken down? Who's getting yeah. taken down? Unless the no body hitting the canvas counted as a takedown, they weren't going to get it. But uh, yeah, Cerrone lows on day of. So yeah, even the UFC deals with it. Unfortunately, yeah, exactly. they've got 13 other fights to fall back on. Exactly. All right, let's not waste too much more time. Let's get right into the card, starting off with the first fight of the night. It is a strawweight bout between Jin Yu Fry and Vanessa Demopoulos. In terms of odds, you got chalk on the Jin Yu Fry side at minus 225, plus 190 the return on Vanessa Demopoulos. Now, I believe this is the... Uh, the so two fights before this, the, there was a two fight winning streak that Jin Yu Fry was on. She was the underdog in both of those fights. She comes and wins both of those fights. Now she's coming in as a chalk against none other than Vanessa Demopoulos, who seems to have a very one sided game. Right? She doesn't usually win decisions. Uh, her last three wins are all via finish, some of them even in comeback fashion. Remember the Silvana Juarez Gomez fight where she gets knocked down, she pulls off the armbar victory there. The Sam Hughes inverted triangle choke, she was pretty much getting pummeled on for about three and a half rounds before she eventually found that uh, inverted choke. Uh, and then there was one more sprinkled in there against a complete nobody. But she has also lost three fights in that stretch as well all of your decision and that just goes to show that she's not really a, a decision type fighter right like she doesn't do much in terms of her striking she lacks a lot in that in my opinion a lot of it um you know a lot of her success has to do with her bjj but she doesn't even really have the greatest wrestling game to try to implement it either so the majority of her wrestling or sorry her jujitsu success comes off of her back she, you know, she's very uh, active in terms of throwing up submissions, throwing up arm bars, uh, even going for inverted uh, triangle chokes. Like we said, she got over Sam Hughes. That's where the majority of her success comes from. Whereas on the Jin Yu Fry side, I think she's the better striker. I think she's the better overall grappler, maybe not jujitsu player per se, but I think she's the better wrestler and she should do a good enough job in terms of staying out of any submission attempts that Vanessa tries to throw up to her. And, you know, when you have a minus 225 line on a girl like Jinyu Fry, uh, or I should say woman, I apologize, a woman like Jinyu Fry, um, you start to question it a little bit. But then you look at the Vanessa Demopoulos tape and you completely understand why the line is where it's at. So I, I do lean on the Fry side here. I do think she'll mix up her, her striking with some of her takedowns. And as long as she, she, she stays safe enough from on top, she should be able to grind this fight out over, uh, over 15 minutes and win this fight via decision. That's pretty much the way that I'm looking to tackle it here. Fry by decision currently sitting around minus 120. You know, do I have the balls to, or or the heart, I should say, to sweat out 15 minutes of her trying not to get armbarred from bottom by Vanessa Demopoulos? Probably not, but I would rather pay minus 125 
believing that she's not going to get the finish either here, right? Like Vanessa Demopoulos is very difficult to put away, uh, very squirmy as well, which makes it very difficult for opponents to posture up and rain down shots from on top. And in terms of pure jiu-jitsu, again, I, I'd be surprised if Jin Fry actually manages to, to get an arm bar or a rear naked choke of any sort in this spot. So uh, give me Jin, uh, Jin by decision, minus 120. What are you thinking, Cody? Yeah, same page with Vanessa Demopoulos. Obviously, she's very crafty. Uh, it's called stripper guard. I don't. I'm not saying that in disrespectful fashion. I think she calls it stripper guard as well. Where <laughs> she's super flexible and she's very, very strong. And if you end up in her guard, she'll throw up triangles. She'll throw up arm bars. You mentioned that Sam Hughes fight in LFA where she hits her with an inverted triangle choke in the fourth round. So yeah. she's dangerous all the way through. She has pretty good cardio. She does have a good chin. You did see her get rocked pretty bad by Silva. Uh, Juarez Gomez, but of course she, you know, guts her wits about her back right away and snatches up the arm bar. So we know that she's very dangerous in that realm. The problem is that I'm a big, big Vanessa Demopoulos fan. She doesn't have the striking to outstrike somebody for 15 minutes, and she doesn't have the wrestling to implement this world-class BJJ. Like, no doubt about it, her ground game is very refined and very good for the division, but she just struggles to get the fights to the ground. That fight with Sam Hughes, for the record, if it was only a three-round fight, she got boxed up. She got straight up boxed up. That's fair. Sam Hughes is decent enough. All of her losses, it was the same thing. Lupita Godinez, she couldn't take her down initially. She had to wait till Lupita tired out down the stretch, but not a very great performance. Fight with J.J. Aldrich, you know, boxed up. Sprawl and brawl, keep it standing, box her up. And then, of course, you've seen that in that last fight with Silva Gomez-Juarez, which it's much as the same. So officially, if you go by fight metric, they've only got listed her contender series fight with Corey McKenna, in which she lands zero takedowns. Her fight with J.J. Aldrich, which she scored zero takedowns. And the fight with Gomez Juarez, she got knocked down, and that's how the fight hit the ground. But effectively, you've not seen her go out there and use wrestling in any one spot. Now, you could theorize. I love theorizing. Well, maybe she's working on her wrestling. Yeah, could be. Could be. But with who? Well, I'll tell you who. Mackenzie Dern. So wrestling, probably not going to be where it needs to be. Uh, that being said, if you look at Jin Yu Frey, Jin Yu Frey shows 90% takedown defense in the UFC. Did get taken down twice by Kay Hansen in her debut. <clears throat> Since then, quite good. I mean, I think that's an aspect of her game that she's also been working on. 37 years old, but it doesn't seem like she's slowing down. Always comes in great shape. And more impressively, her fight her last time out with Ashley Yodder. Ashley Yodder's kind of big, brooding, and got some decent enough wrestling. And uh, she stuffed all eight of the takedown attempts to keep the fight standing. When the fight does stay standing, she'll just feed a steady diet of straight left hands down the pipe. She keeps everything sharp. She keeps everything linear. Vanessa Demopoulos is a very hittable target. She just got a minor P's and Q's, touch her at range, move out of the way, keep the fight standing. If she can do that for two to the three rounds, she wins. She wins a decision. Minus 120, all good. Only thing not good is this money line is way off. This is women's MMA dog. Women's <laughs> MMA dog. And one of them is really good on the ground, right? If the fight hits the ground at any one point, she can swing it in her favor. Look at last week's show, okay? You got Jasmine Jastadavisius as a minus 240 oh. favorite and got wrecked 30-26, okay? You got Gloria DePaola, probably should have won the fight, but who cares? She's a minus 260 favorite in a close fight and loses a decision. So this is much of the same. I like Jin Frey, but am I that confident that this is not going to be a greasy, close fight? No. Am I not that confident that this is going to hit the ground at some point and Vanessa Demopoulos locks something up? No. It's in the apex, small cage. Who's to say Vanessa couldn't trip her up to the ground somehow? <clears throat> but logic would say Jin Frey probably stuffs the takedowns and outstrikes her. So that, that's the angle that I'm working. That's the angle I'm going to go with. But I really do not agree with this money line. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people can kind of agree with that, especially with the skill set that Fry brings to the table. But 
it's Vanessa Demopoulos at the end of the day. And uh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm uh, on pretty good talking terms with, with uh, Santiago DeFranco, who is one of our main coaches there. And uh, he, he knows like there are certain parts of a game that are lacking and they're doing the best in terms of just wrapping it up with the bow and trying to put together a solid package so, uh, for, for the fights this weekend, especially against a, a tested veteran like Jin Fry. They know they have a test ahead of them. There. I say pull guard, man. Honestly, like it sounds stupid. <laughs> Nobody wants to do it in MMA, but one, this is women's MMA. So pull guard not a bad idea arm bars from guard happen all the time and also just you're not winning the fight standing so just get it to the ground by any means necessary and for the record Kay hansen locked up it was like a half flying arm bar you know what i mean grab a hold of her whip her to the ground like that's what you have to do um and and, and you know what similar to i we made i uh, made mention of mackenzie dern right you watch mackenzie dern's last fight against tisha torres unbelievable she kind of pulled guard but like it was like a standing guard pull you remember that she grabs a kimura from a standing position oh, yeah. jumps on it drags the fight to the ground and then it's where she wants it to be that would be the way to win this fight and again making it greasy would be the way to win it but at 115 pounds wmma oh i've seen it all man and this kind of shit happens all the time so buyer beware exactly great way to put it out there cody all right let's move on to the next fight here we're looking at a men's bantamweight scrap between Mario Bautista and Brian Kelleher. We got minus 170 right now on Bautista and plus 145 on Kelleher. Now, I got to admit, I, I never really was that big on Brian Kelleher in the past. I usually thought like he was a, a fringe top 30 guy, maybe even top 40. But he's really grinding himself down to to getting to a, an efficient gatekeeper role for that top 20 range there. Um, with, you know, we know what he's mainly known for, right? Big power in his hands. He has that nasty guillotine as well if he's able to get his arm around your neck. But one thing that he's implemented over his last two wins, obviously last time around, he fell short against Umar Namagamadov. Can't really blame him for that one. But two fight, the two fight, prior fights to that, uh, he beat Domingo Pilarte and uh, he had that other win. Let me just quickly pull it up. I'm blanking right now off the top Kevin of Kroom? my head. Kevin Kroom, upper weight class against a much bigger opponent. Manages to muster up nine takedowns over those two fights and almost 19 minutes of control time as well over those two fights. So we see him kind of developing his game to, you know, play it safer if he needs to. You know, it's very difficult to always find the chin of your opponent and finally you know, realizing that you need to evolve your game to stay in the UFC and to have that longevity is a very smart move by him. And I'm starting to respect him more and more for it. Now he's finding a guy in Mario Bautista who I kind of put in the Jonathan Martinez realm, right? Like they're both great strikers and they do their best work when they're able to put their combinations together and their kicks together. But there's always that one worry that they're going to get clipped and hurt and rocked and dropped or something like that. We obviously saw it happen with Jonathan Martinez and Davey Grant. We saw it happen with Mario Bautista when he fought Trevin Jones a couple fights ago. But obviously since then, he's been able to bounce back with that Jay Perron win, which was a great win for him. I still have that little bit of reservation, though. I do actually end up siding with the underdog here in Brian Kelleher because I do think he has a little bit more tools to get it done. And what I mean by that is he has the power to uh, staple his pressure, per se, and then he also has the uh, the wrestling here if he needs it to try to drag Bautista to the ground and grind him out in that fashion as well. Like, I'm fully expecting Bautista to get the better of him in terms of the output numbers and the striking and the volume. But I do think that Kelleher's ability to mix it up completely. And we've seen him do it against much bigger guys. Like, Kevin Kroom was a big guy compared to Brian Kelleher that night. And he still managed to drag that fight to the ground and grind it out. Now, I don't expect him to accrue 13 minutes of control time like he did that night against Kevin Kroom. But I do expect him to mix it up well enough and land big enough shots that the judges will likely see it in his favor as well. 
So initially, I was leaning on the Mario Bautista side, but once I started running the tape, you know, I, I do think that Bautista leaves some openings in terms of getting hit with that big power hook by Brian, Brian Kelleher, or I should say overhand. But that could also allow him to close the distance to start to drag fights to the ground and then start getting some work done there as well. I'm seeing, you know, a, a decision from the Brian Kelleher side. That's kind of what I'm leaning on. And that number is currently sitting at uh, plus 400. But there's always that chance that he lands that boom bomb and he catches that plus 600 via KO ticket as well. Um, I'm going to lean Kelleher via decision. as probably one of my favorite bets. Uh, let's see what the over is looking like here too, because I think if Bautista gets it done, he'll likely get it done via decision as well. Fight goes to decision, even money, minus 110, over 2.5, minus 135. I don't mind those lines either, but I'm going to lean more so on the Brian Kelleher side here. Uh, either he grinds this out or he finds that bomb. I'm leaning with the former though, with the decision at plus 400. What about yourself? Yeah, man, not a bad play. Not a bad play at all. I'm definitely concerned about Kelleher landing the big overhand right he hasn't shown a whole lot of knockouts in the ufc i think he only has two of them but all the same dude the way he whips at and the knockout wins that he does have namely the hunter azer one he's got power no doubt about that and of course you brought up the guillotine choke one of his favorite weapons something he can go to my boy barrio mario batista tends to make mistakes he tends to leave his head up open a little too much he tends to uh, admire his work a little too much and as a result he is prone to getting caught if he does get caught from Kelleher, he's going to be in a world of shit for sure but I can't take Brian Kelleher. Something about him. I'm off. I'm off the train. I, I like Boom as a personality. He's a good guy. 36 years old. I start. I, I'm thinking he's starting to lose a little bit of uh, that razzmatazz that made him special to begin with. But his last six fights since the Hunter Azer uh, contest, not all that good. Namely, it's he has to have the wrestling advantage. He needs to be able to take you down. He doesn't want to stand with these guys anymore. Uh, when he fought Cody Stamen, no wrestling advantage there. As a result, forces stand with him. And you see him just get battered from the outside. 89 to 57. No strikes landed. Okay, doesn't throw in combinations. Waits on his punches. Can't get the fight to the ground. Against Ricky Simone. Well, you're not going to take Ricky Simone down, right? So as a result, he's getting out-wrestled. He's getting out-struck. Flat performance. Domingo Polarte, Kevin Kroom, very interesting. Neither guy can stuff a takedown, right? And neither guy really has much of a game off his back. So Kelleher fights an excellent game plan, taking down Polarte three times and holding him down. Doesn't pass his guard, doesn't try to submit him, doesn't do any real ground and pound. He just takes him down and holds him down. And he does the same thing against Kevin Kroom, but not exciting and not convincing. Keep in mind, he got outstruck by Kevin Kroom 60 to 38, even though he had the six takedowns. He got outstruck in the first two rounds. I think it was a combined margin of 55 to 25. He looked like shit, but he was able to take him down. Well, big fucking deal. Eventually, you're not going to get the takedown. You can't just sit on a guy. They're not even really rewarding stalling anymore, and that's what he did against both those guys. And then against Umar, well, he just got absolutely killed because Umar is a supreme talent. When I think about Mario Batista, 27 years old, out of the MMA lab, he is improving. He's made some mistakes here and there. His takedown defense could use some work. But one thing you do see in the Jay Perrin fight is that whenever he did get taken down, he got up right away. Cardio looked good. Footwear looked good. Speed looked good. At range, he's got better striking technique. I think he's going to chew up Keller from the outside. He's just got to avoid getting hit with that bomb. And if he does get taken down, don't get complacent. Don't sit on your back. Butt scoot, get to the cage, get back up. ASAP. If he's able to do that, he's just going to simply outwork him. And work is the name of the game. That's what they're scoring, especially in a small little apex. They're not going to care about one guy's holding the other guy up against the cage, completing a takedown. They're going to look for actual shot impact. And what I'm seeing out of Keller is, is his numbers are low, man. Of course, he landed one against Umar because he got taken right down. But 38 against Kroom, 15 minutes. He landed 38 strikes. Low. Domingo Pilarte, he landed 28 strikes. 
in 15 minutes. Dude, that is low. Ricky Simone, 19. Effectively, he's landed less than 40 significant strikes in each of his last four fights, five fights. Uh, yeah, like it's low, man. His career high is 57. Uh, well, you got to have to go all the way back to the Hen and Barrow fight. Okay, so my bad. In the last five years, his highest output landing in a fight was 57. You had better hope he gets these takedowns, and you had better hope he gets lots of them. Because if Batista's working his way back up, I think he's going to punish him from range. And for that reason, I got Batista. Also agree it goes to decision. You're thinking uh, Kelleher by decision. I'm going to go Batista by decision. But last but not least, I have been burned by my boy Mario Batista in the past. Uh, his... Two fights ago against Trevin Jones. He looked awesome in the first round. Fluid, you know, clean, precise. Second round, bomb. Caught with the counter. Uh, shot up the middle, I believe. It was uh, maybe a lead uppercut. Catches him, drops him over. I could see Brian Kelleher catching him something and making it tough. But I'm just hoping that Batista minds his P's and Q's, stays out of range, and uh, just outworks him. Uh, I will say this about Brian. Uh, a lot of the matchups that he's had uh, over the last couple fights uh, are grappling-based fighters, right? The Ricky Simone fight, not really being able to get too much offense off there due to the threat of the takedown, not to mention, you know, getting controlled for eight minutes in that fight, uh, getting taken down six of nine times. The, the Domingo Pilarte one is very interesting, right? He wins that fight three-round decision, has 13 minutes of control time that night, lands 28 significant strikes, like you said, but lands a total of 236 strikes that night. All pitter-patter, just shots from the top, trying to stay active enough. Like, I, I get where you're coming from in terms of significant strike numbers, but I think here against Bautista, we might be able to see a little bit more, but I do think that Bautista will definitely outstrike him. It's about the full package that Kelleher should be able to put together here. Hopefully, he can get the takedowns. Hopefully, he can get some pitter-patter from on top to, to stay active that the referee doesn't stand them up. But... There's a reason he is the underdog. I completely agree that he should be the underdog, but I do think that this fight will play closer to a 50-50 fight than uh, whatever this is, 65-35 uh, um, fight for um, Mr. Mario Bautista. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're looking at a men's flyweight fight. We got Cody Durden going up against, keep my wife's name out your mouth, JP Bays. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus. Actually, you know what? It's pretty much a pick -em. You see minus 115, minus 110 for both guys on plenty of these websites. Uh, should be a fun grappling fight, right? Like both of these guys very much reliant on the grappling games. I'm still not over the fact that I did not get to cash my Montel Jackson and JP Bay's fight does not go to decision. There were so many opportunities that night for uh, Montel Jackson to get the finish. If I'm not mistaken, let me just pull up the number here real quick uh, in terms of the amount of knockdowns that uh, Montel Jackson was able to get that night. Four knockdowns, four knockdowns, no finish. He got 10 minutes of control time. A lot of that was him following JP Bays to the ground and then, you know, landing some shots from on top, not enough to get the fight stopped. And then JP Bays holds on for dear life. I believe he was, he kept going for a, uh, a, a Kimura, either a Kimura sweep or a, at least just threatening with the Kimura so that Jackson couldn't get any shots from on top. And the referee just let that go on and on and on, which were, there, there were a lot of moments of stalemating there uh, on the JP Bays side of things which obviously didn't allow me to cash. That fight doesn't go to decision. But here against Cody Durden, I think we'll see a lot more of a competitive fight. And I actually lean with the JP Bay's side here. I do think that he has the chops to go out there and get a finish, uh, whether it's a submission, whether it's a TKO. 
Durden on paper might be the better wrestler, but I do think that JP Bays will likely be the better uh, the MMA grappler, if you want to call it that. I do think he'll be able to threaten with a lot more submissions. I do think he'll be able to remain way more active in those situations. And I could see him being, you know, a step ahead in most of those grappling situations. The only issue with him, though, is we know his cardio starts to fall off usually, you know, over that one and a half round mark. That's probably where Durden can start to take over if Bays hasn't already gotten a finish. Uh, so I do lean on the Bay side here, and I do lean him by uh, finish. Uh, Bays inside the distance currently sits at plus 210, uh, but the, the the fight doesn't go to decision. I'm liking minus 110. I'm actually even seeing under two and a half here on bet online at plus 115. I think we're going to see some grappling violence here, Cody. I do think that we're going to see these guys go back and forth and eventually a submission opportunity or a ground and pound opportunity will open itself up. You know, most people would say early will likely be Bayes, late will likely be Durden. I'm going to go with the former here. I think that Bayes gets it done under one and a half rounds. So, uh, yeah, I'll likely <clears throat> sprinkle some of that fight doesn't go to decision as well as some uh, Bayes inside the distance at plus 200. What are you feeling here? Yeah, I'm feeling this fight don't go the distance first and foremost. Like if Baze does pull it off, I think he's going to tire Durden out and catch him with a choke. And if Durden's able to pull it off, Baze has been dropped seven times in his last two fights, right? So that's very problematic. I just don't fight, think this fight's going to go the distance. And as a result, like minus 115, fight doesn't go the distance. Looks pretty good to me. I agree with pretty much all your points, though, except for you mentioned you thought Cody Durden might have been a better wrestler on paper. Well, what has Cody Durden really ever done to show that he's a good wrestler? I mean, he wrestled in high school. Uh, he did not win a state title. I thought he did, but I looked at it, uh, looked at it this morning, and he, I think he placed. He, he advanced to the state final as a senior. There you go. Uh, and did not win a state title. Then he gets apparently uh, a wrestling scholarship at West Point, which he turned down. So he never wrestled in college. He attempted to win a state title in high school. That's it. Okay. JP Buys, meanwhile, has won multiple African titles. He competed for South Africa at the Worlds, finishing 12th, and was thinking about going to the Olympics for South Africa. So I get one's American wrestling, which is a lot higher level than South African wrestling. But like, yeah, this other guy competed on a world team against some of the best guys in the world. And Jordan would have been a D3 All-American at best, I think. So I, I think JP Bice has got the wrestling advantage. He's got the scrambles. He's got the grappling. He's got all of that. The one thing is, is like, I don't think he can take a punch. But I want to give him a bit of a pass, right? Because when you look at his two opponents in the UFC, Bruno Silva is a dog. My yeah. God, that's a tough yeah. fight. It's a real tough fight. I don't think he fully knew what he was getting himself into. And as a result, you know, he gets dropped three times. He showed a little perseverance, but eventually gets stopped. And then he goes through like a nasty divorce, which is kind of half made public. And then he takes on Montel Jackson, where he took the fight on short notice. He jumped up a weight class to 135 and took on the biggest dude in the division. Like Montel Jackson is gigantic. So he hasn't really done himself any favors. He hasn't looked good, but I think that a lot of that is the matchmaking. Now he got beat up bad against Bruno Silva. And then six months later, he's in there up a weight class on short notice against Montel Jackson and likewise got his ass kicked. But now he's coming off like a 10-month-long layoff. He's only 26 years old. I think that a little refresher would be good for his body, good for his head. Let's shake out the cobwebs. And then just get right back in there. He's full-time out of Las Vegas now. I know he's training at an elite level. He's just got to go out there and perform the way he's able to. The thing with Cody Durden, not that he's untalented, but his wrestling is good enough to skate by against guys that can't wrestle, right? Chris Gutierrez is the world. Like Those guys aren't really known for the wrestling, so he can get by against them. But in all of the fights that he's had, he's flat out gassed out. When he gasses out, that's when problems definitely occur for him. The Chris Gutierrez fight, he won the first round. Why Why was a 10-8? I could not explain to you. 
But the second and the third, he tires out. He loses both of them. It's a draw. Jimmy Flick, he starts off well, and then it looks like he's starting to get a little lethargic, and he gets caught with a flying triangle choke because he got lazy. The Rich, oh, Richie Lang fight, it's much of the same. He gets he gets tired. The longer the fight goes, he throws down. Do I think he's got a slight striking advantage over buys? Maybe not technically, maybe not speed-wise, but he's got more power. And I think he could chin-check him and hurt him. But if buys just makes this a wrestling match right from the get-go, grind, 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 grind. By the second round, he'll tire. Then you can take over. Then you can snatch up a neck. So personally, I think buys by submission. Uh, but Durden could win by knockout. And then just taking the fight not to go the distance, it covers you both sides. So that's my favorite prop for this one. Seems like Alfred's liking the dog money on the uh, inside the distance there uh, for either side. But yeah, no, I, I do agree with you. Um, I, and again, when I said on paper that Durden was probably the better wrestler, it is more so the American wrestling against South African wrestling. It's kind of that's fair. Yeah. You know, I mean, like it's not often that we see any other country other than Russia maybe beating uh, the USA in terms of wrestling accolades or anything like that. All right. Oh, Iran. You know, those places yeah. are badass as well. Now right? we're getting into the nitty gritty of it. Going, yeah, but yeah, that's exactly. You got to go to these weird places like Mongolia and Iran, and then it's like, okay, they've got world class wrestling over there. But uh, Azerbaijan, you know what I mean? But yeah. yeah, no, in terms of like this hemisphere. You're right. Even when like these guys will come out and it'll be like, oh man, this guy was a Commonwealth champ out of England. It's like, oh, that's not that good. <laughs> I can tell you yeah. that's not that good. You'd rather be a good D2 guy. You'd rather be a D1 All-American is just as good as winning in European countries. So I, I, I hear you 100%. I just hope that JP buys uh, the cardio. More so than the wrestling, it's the cardio. I think that's going to be the real key factor. Uh, shout out to my guy, uh, Brady from DFS by the numbers. Uh, he was the one that actually posted this uh, DraftKings prop that's out there right now, which is why I started this breakdown off by saying that keep my wife's name out your mouth. That's exactly what the what DraftKings has labeled this prop as, which is JP Bays to win by K1 rounds one or two. Uh, it's plus 550 if it ends up hitting. So we'll see if uh, he gets any motivation from that to try to go out there and finish a guy in Cody Durden that not a lot of people seem to like, right? Let's Let's see how that plays out. All right. Next up, we got a uh, men's bantamweight fight going down. We got Howley and Paiva coming in at plus 125. Going up against Sergey Morozov, who's coming in at minus 145. Last time around, Cody, Morozov let me down so bad against Douglas Silva and DeAndre where, you know, uh, he's uh, he's striking with him and having good success, but you got to believe at a certain time, you got to start implementing your grappling. He falls in love too much with his hands. And I get it. You know, when you see Douglas uh, flopping around the cage the way that he was after, you know, landing all those combinations and those strikes and almost finishing Douglas early in that fight, I get why you have more confidence in your hands, but you know your bread and butter is that grappling. And he stayed away from it for too long in that fight. And he ended up paying for it with Douglas eventually finishing him in that second round. Um, before that, that pulls off a solid victory and upset win over Khalid Taha, which a lot of people, you know, really did expect him to get that victory. But after he did, you know, they, they gave him all the respect in the world, making him up, you know, I believe it was a minus 200 or minus 250 favorite over Douglas that night, but he ends up falling up short. Holly and Paiva, on the other hand, that's a guy that I kind of had circled for a while now. I thought he was going to be the, uh, the the dark horse in the flyweight division but ultimately he just can't keep making that weight class so he's been forced to move up to 135 pounds but that's where he got like probably his biggest win thus far in the ufc having that majority decision victory over kyler phillips as a plus 230 underdog he got a shit kicked in in that first round but managed to storm back in those second two rounds uh to pull off a win 
Should it have been a draw? Probably, but he still ends up getting his hand raised that night, and I get to cash my plus 230 ticket on Paiva, so I'm not going to complain too much there. And then obviously he gets throws it, throw thrown in as a sacrificial lamb against Sean O'Malley back at UFC 269 in December. Ends up getting knocked out with about 18 seconds left on the clock in round one. But, you know, he's he's 3-3 three and three now inside the UFC. Three of those losses coming to Kaikar France, which he probably deserved to win that fight if we go back and watch that back. Uh, the Hajiri Bontrian fight, fight gets stopped due to a cut. So, unfortunate loss from there. Then he goes on a three-fight winning streak, and then he loses to Sean O'Malley. I still believe in this kid. You know, he's 26 years old. He's, you know, full-time pretty much at Team Alpha Male now. And you see the, that work really coming together for him. And I feel like he could give a guy like Sergey Morozov some issues, whether it's being scrambly off of his back in terms of throwing up submissions or just getting back to his feet. And in my opinion, probably being the better striker of the two guys in this fight, um, I do think he can give Morozov some issues, but I do like the violence spot in this fight. I do think at a certain point, one of these guys is going to be able to rock the other or hurt the other, whether it's uh, Morozov from on top with his ground and pound or Paiva with his hands and his length. I do think he'll be able to give Morozov plenty of issues here uh, in the stand-up row. So I do lean Paiva as a small dog, but I do also lean the Paiva inside the distance at plus 310. I think that's a damn good spot to, to capitalize on here. And you got to wonder what kind of form we're going to see Morozov come back with uh, after suffering that uh, you know devastating loss to Douglas last time around. Is it going to hinder his ability to go out there and execute a game plan? Or... He's going to go out there and just try to play it super safe, try to be heavy with that top pressure once he gets the takedowns. But I'm just not uber confident in the fact that he'll be able to land those takedowns consistently enough, nor be able to control the, the fight on the ground consistently enough to give Paiva issues here. So I'm going to go with the underdog here in Holly and Paiva, and I do think he ends up coming out with the finish. Whether it's a KO or a submission, I would rather cover both sides here with Paiva inside the distance at plus 310. I do think he'll give Morozov some issues on the feet. That might result in a KO or a possible club and sub situation. But like I said, plus 310 already for the, the inside the distance, not a bad line regardless. So give me Paiva here, Paiva inside the distance. What about yourself? Yeah, I honestly thought just like you, this guy was going to be a terrorizer at 125 pounds because, I mean, he's just very, very large, right? And it goes out there and he can walk through his opponent's best punches. He keeps coming forward. He puts pressure on them. He's at Team Alpha Male now. His wrestling's getting ever so slightly better. He does get taken down in pretty much all of his fights, but he still shows off a 75% takedown defense. So it's not as if he gets taken down on the first attempt. You can grind him, but it looks like he has a bright future. Then he weighs in against Zalgas Zumagulov at 129, right? Misses weight by three pounds officially. Fights Zalgas. Got outstruck 62 to 50 and taken down twice. Out of 19 media members on MMA decisions, I think it was 15 to 4 in favor of Zalgas. I scored the fight for Zalgas. Most people scored the fight for Zalgas. And yet they give it to Pava. Now, Pava did not look good in that fight. But, of course, robbery. Missed weight. You can't reward that. All the same, now they move him up to 135. Now, 135 against Kyler Phillips, he tries to do the same thing he always does. He walks face first into punches. He does not move his head. He does not cleanly defend himself. He's a liability. He could do it at flyweight, but now he's at 35. These guys are going to hit a little harder. You've seen him do this before against Rogerio Bontrin. If you remember that fight, he just walks face first into a pile of punches. Huge cut opens up over the eyebrow, and they stop the fight due to a cut. But it's the same thing. He's not moving his head, but Bontrin is not a heavy power puncher. So when he ran to Kyler Phillips, he got straight up caught bad in the first round. Should have been a 10-8. He is all sorts of hurt. Some refs would have stopped that fight. Should have been a 10-8 round. 
whatever. It doesn't matter. Phillips tires after that. This kid fights valiantly his way back into it. Should have been a draw, but he ends up getting the win. Doesn't matter. You did see him get massively hurt there at 135 pounds, but oh well, Phillips has got some power. So nice to see him get Sean O'Malley. Well, Sean O'Malley is a good striker, absolutely. Very accurate puncher. Not the biggest, like, one-hitter quitter guy unless he's fighting Eddie Wineland. You know, like, you saw the Chris Moutinho fight where it's like he quite literally had to hit him hundreds of times before eventually getting the ref to stop it while he was still standing. And yet, Pava is so unbelievably hittable. He's so such a big defensive liability that he just shoots it straight down the middle and knocks him out. Honestly, when I think about Sergey Morozov, he's got big power in his hands. He had Douglas Diandraj hurt bad in that round, but he fell in love with his work. Instead of taking him down, try to playing it smart and try to start trying to conserve your energy. He just went buck wild for the finish. Got over aggressive, had an adrenaline dump, gets caught in the second, gets finished. What I do like about him is that he's well-rounded. He's not a, a contender. He's not someone that's going to challenge for a world title, but every aspect of his game is quite well-rounded. He's a good striker. He's a good wrestler. He's got good cardio. His durability is okay. Like there's nothing, there's no one real glaring issue with his game. It's just, there's nothing he does exceptionally well. What he does thrive at is if he takes over guys who do have holes in their game, he could exploit it. And in this case, Pive has got holes in his game in that he uh, defensively not sound. And he's got maybe questionable uh, takedown defense. So if you're Morozov, you, you come off the Taha fight where you took him down six times. That was the success, was the takedowns. And then the Douglas D'Andrade fight, you fell in love with your striking. This I expect to find a happy medium. I think he will strike, but I think he'll also mix in the takedowns. So if he does that, I think he's either going to catch Pave and put him away inside the distance at some point, or he could take him down and give him a royal grinding. <clears throat> super tempted, super tempted to hit that Morozov by knockout at plus 550. Plus 550 for a guy that's going to walk straight uh, head first right at you. Tempting, tempting to say the least. But I could also see him wanting to play this one a little safer and just going for those takedowns, mixing them in, and then hopefully winning the 29-28 decision, worst case scenario. <clears throat> but uh, I will admit, right, I don't think I'm going to hit that decision prop because I got this gut feeling, and I know you're kind of on the same page, that inside the distance. Like, if if Morozov is able to do what I think he's capable of, he's going to catch Pava and knock him out. If Pava does what you think he's capable of, he's going to probably weather that early storm and then come back and catch Morozov. Either way, this is probably a violent fight that won't see the 15 minutes. So, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm just going to hit this one from the fight doesn't go the distance standpoint. I like it. Shout out to our guy, JHK, as well, in the comment section here, giving us some love. But, yeah, no, I agree with you. That Not many fights we often see finish inside the distance, especially for these lower weight classes, bantamweight especially. But the way these guys match up, I think that we could see a, a finish transpire here. So let's see how it plays out this weekend. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're looking at TJ Brown going up against Shailan Nurdenbieka. In terms of odds, we're looking at the minus 190 for TJ Brown and plus 165 for Shailan. Uh, very intriguing fight here because it's not often that you see TJ Brown as the heavy favorite, but once you actually start running the tape on Shailan, you're like, hmm, okay, makes a little bit of sense, right? The guy still seems a little bit raw, even though he's, uh, you know, he, I believe he's 28 now, um, so he still has some improving to do, but in terms of the way that he matches up with TJ Brown here, got to believe that Brown is going to have pretty much the advantage in almost every single aspect of this fight. Like I, I'm trying to figure out where Shailan could absolutely take advantage of TJ. Maybe if TJ's gas tank shows up here and it's not looking the greatest, maybe Shailan can start to pull away later in this fight. But, you know, uh, we got a one inch height advantage as well as a three inch reach advantage for TJ Brown. Uh, 
got to believe that it comes with a lot of takedowns, right? Uh, he's averaging four and a half takedowns per 15 minutes, uh, and he has a decent amount of control time over those opponents. Uh, I believe last time around, yeah, it was against Charles Rosa, where he landed six takedowns that night. Um, and yeah, it just... It, it, it was a quintessential Charles Rosa blueprint to beat him, right? The TJ Brown knew exactly what he needed to do that night to stay out of the submissions. And he had good enough submission defense to be able to do that. And you should be able to grind out Charles Rosa for the majority of that fight. The, the Kai Kamaka fight, that was a close fight. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I had money on TJ Brown that night and I felt relieved once we got those scorecards read and TJ Brown ended up uh, being victorious that night. If I'm not mistaken, I think uh, Kai Kamaka actually deserved the, the decision that night and not to mention Kamaka. I believe he got cut after that fight, which is, oh, no, sorry, he did go up to that uh, majority draw to Danny Chavez and then he got cut, which I thought was a very egregious uh, act by the UFC is what it is. Kai Kamaka doing his thing in Bellator now. But uh, yeah, how TJ Brown matches up here against Shailan, I think he lands takedowns. I think he outgrinds him. You know, Shailan, I think the only way he wins is if he catches TJ Brown with something, whether it's a, you know, a Hail Mary KO or something like that. I'm not expecting him to pull off a guillotine choke like how Jordan Griffin beat TJ Brown back in uh, February of 2020. That was a fight where TJ Brown landed seven takedowns in eight and a half minutes, which is crazy that he was able to get that many takedowns. Takedowns, but that's his game, man. That's the way TJ Brown gets it done, gets it to the ground, grinds his opponent. So either finishes them from on top or grinds it out over 15 minutes. I'm gonna lean more so with the, the grinding out over 15 minutes. He's definitely the better fighter in this situation. I get why he's minus 200. Don't let the fact that it's TJ Brown scare you off from it. It is what it is. Shailan is just not UFC level as he showed Sean Soriano is not UFC level as well when he beat him in his last fight. But uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go TJ Brown, TJ Brown by decision, which currently sits at plus 125. What about yourself, Cody? Yeah, I got TJ Brown, <clears throat> TJ Brown by decision as well. Although I'll admit, I think he wins this fight standing. I don't think he needs to go to mm. the ground. I think he just sprawl and brawls his way to victory. Shai Lang has zero striking, like uh, unbelievably bad striking. His fight with Josh Kulabau, he landed 17 significant strikes. He presses <laughs> for the takedowns. But he doesn't throw anything standing. Then the fight with Sean Soriano, this is unbelievable. He landed 17 significant strikes. It's the same shit. Two straight fights. There's no ground and pound. There's no there's no uh, volume standing. There's no punching in combinations. <clears throat> he just wades in, wades in, waits to grab a hold of you and tries to press you into the cage. His wrestling is probably good by Chinese standards. But as we were talking about in like the world stage of things, his wrestling is not very good, right? So against Josh Kulabau, who's not really a wrestler, he took him down twice. Only he went two for 14 on takedown attempts in that fight. Very, very bad. And then the fight with Sean Soriano, <laughs> that's the best Sean Soriano's wrestling's ever looked because he actually stuffed four of the takedowns, okay? He took down this guy twice. Sean Soriano scored two fucking takedowns on him. Unbelievable. <clears throat> he easily wins the first round, Sean does. Gasses. And still the second and the third were competitive. <clears throat> so... Yeah, I would say with Shaw Yang, he, he, what is he going to fall back on? If the wrestling's not good enough to take down TJ Brown, he's going to be forced to stand with him, and I don't think the striking's there. Brown, meanwhile, when he pushes too much of a pace, like the Jordan Griffin fight, when you're trying to do too much too fast, you probably gas yourself out. When you gas yourself out, you're going to leave yourself in a choke. Fight metric says Jordan Griffin attempted three submissions that night. Bullshit. He attempted like nine. That guillotine choke was literally slapped on for like six minutes before he finally stuck him with it. It's unbelievable. But I think Brown... 
made some improvements. You learn something from that. Then the Danny Chavez fight, he allowed his lead leg to completely get blown out before he switched to his wrestling. But you learn from that. And I, I got to think now he's fighting a little more conservative, right? I think he spent some time with James Krause. He's coming out with some better game plans. And truth be told, I think he's got a grappling advantage. He's probably got a slight wrestling advantage. But the striking advantage is something people aren't really zoning in on. So I think he just uses his wrestling in reverse this time around. Try to keep your separation from this guy. Sprawl and brawl and beat him up standing. If he grabs a hold of you and you fall to the ground, end up on top, sure. Maybe get a takedown if you need to. But I think he's going to be comfortable with his stand-up. So uh, brown, brown by decision. Same thing you got. I love it. I love it. All right, let's just keep this moving along because we got the prelim headliner next. And I think this is pretty much where like the like back to back to back to back fights are pretty much bangers the entire way here now. Maybe with the exception with the heavyweight slop fest that we got sandwiched in that uh, main card there. But this fight should be a fun one. We got Tafan and Chukwi taking on Carlos Olberg at uh, at light heavyweight. In terms of odds, we're starting to see Tafan start to pull away now as this was a pick line earlier this week. Not to mention, Tafan was actually the plus-120 underdog. Now he's finding himself as the minus-125 favorite, plus-105 the return on Carlos Olberg again. I'm kind of surprised that the line's a little bit uh, like this close. You know, I, I really lean on the Tafan and Chukwi side here as I'm not the most impressed with Carlos Olberg. Sure, Technically speaking, he's the better striker. But when we talk about MMA, I think Tafunk has way more paths to win this fight. He can go out there and, uh, you know, just strike with him, in my opinion. He might be at a little bit of a, 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 a speed disadvantage, but I don't think that's going to discourage him from moving forward and using his stalkering style of, uh, of striking where he just throws power shots at you and just walks you down the entire time. Or he can go out there and mix in some takedowns if he needs to. I think he's strong enough to be able to get away with that and use that type of style to force uh, Carlos Alberg or even try to, uh, you know, keep Alberg on his toes uh, and not just think that this is going to be a striking battle. We saw Tafan land three takedowns against Mike Rodriguez, one against uh, Junyoung Park. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he can actually go out there and do that. We saw him have a great performance in his last fight against uh, uh, Azamat Mirzakhanov until he ate that knee up the middle with, uh, you know, 44 seconds into that third round. It was looking great. He, you know, uh, he was the underdog in that fight, if I'm not mistaken, around plus 160, and he was really putting it on Azamat. That was the first fight of the night, if I'm not mistaken, as well. And uh, I remember having Azamat in a bunch of my lottery parlays, and uh, I was sweating it. Luckily, <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luckily, he was able to pull it off and uh, get the victory that night. But I think we'll see Tufan bounce back pretty well here against Carlos. I do think he'll be able to deal with the speed disadvantage he'll be at early in this fight, but as the fight starts dragging it on, and as it becomes more of a dogfight, I think that we'll see Tafan start to pull away with this. I don't know if he'll 100% get the finish. I do think that this will be played at a bit of a tepid pace where you know there won't be a significant amount of a huge significant amount of strikes, but I do think that Tafan will start to pull away the later that this fight goes. So I'm leaning on Tafan by decision, which is a whopping plus 375. You know, I, I don't mind that line at all. I think that people, when they see these guys beside each other and kind of know their history, they just assume that they're going to go out there and get the knockout quickly. But I think they're going to respect the power of each other, and it's going to be a little bit more of a technical striking battle, which again, early Alberg might be able to get the upper hand. But the longer that this fight goes and the ability for Tafan to mix up this fight with takedowns, grappling in the clinch, I think you'll start to pull away with it as this fight starts to go deeper. Before I swing it on over to you, Cody, I want to tee you up with one thing because we have a special prop here courtesy of Cloudbet for this fight. Total significant strikes 
for this car or for this fight specifically. So combine significant strikes for both guys. I'll tee it on over to you, and then you can take over with your breakdown. Over under 80 and a half significant strikes between the two. What are you thinking? Uh, yeah, well, it could be it could be low volume. I'm leaning towards it being low volume. Um, but again, I mean, I I don't know. You don't know what to expect out of Albert because I don't even think he's really comfortable with his game quite yet. Like he's only four and one in MMA, but the two fights that he's had are like polar opposites of each other. The fight with Kenny and Jaku, he landed 146 significant strikes within two uh, round and a half. Like he got he gassed out into the second and stopped throwing, but. That's an abnormal amount of strikes, man. And as a result, he completely gassed himself. Then his next fight with Fabio Charant, he didn't throw shit. Like, that was a terrible fight, man. Fabio Charant just stared at him. Nothing happened. Oh, Fabio so, gave him the fight that he needed, right? Like, that was exactly yeah, what Carlos needed. Continue, sorry. Yeah, Fabio never threw more than one punch at a time. I think he landed 13 significant strikes over the course of 15 minutes. Got taken down twice. But Fabio just stared at him. So it allowed it allowed him to, Alberg, to get a little comfortable and, you know, find his kickboxing range. And, of course, the guy has pro kickboxing experience. So when you give him that, that, that comfortability he's going to be able to uh, thrive on it. And this is just a, a sparring session, another day at the gym, no problem. Stay at range, I'll punch this guy. 77-inch reach, use every bit of it, no problem. I think with Tufan and Jaqui, it's going to be a different case. Like, if you come out with hot offense right off the get-go, I want to knock this guy out, then you're going to open yourself up to gassing out. If you don't throw hot off the get-go and you don't put any pressure on him, he's going to start marching you down. This is the apex. It's a small cage. There's not a whole lot of room to run away to. And if Tufan and Jaqui is able to close that distance, he lands hard. But beyond that, the takedown. People, people just assume naturally, oh, it's a striker versus striker matchup. But really for Tafan Njikui, he trains at a team Lloyd Irvin. I think he's only a blue belt under Lloyd Irvin, but Lloyd Irvin, one of the best jiu-jitsu coaches in the entire world. You know, his guys are very, you know, tight, very technical, very good on the ground. You know, is he a cult leader or whatever? That's a discussion for another time. <laughs> I was wondering if we are going to bring that up. <laughs> I don't want to say anything, but yeah, all right, Lloyd Irvin may be a cult leader. Not my decision, okay? I'm not getting an all-stars lawsuit going here, right? Uh, I'm just going to say, read the reports yourself. But Tefan <laughs> Njikui, if he ends up on top of you, you see how built this guy is? It's like a rock. Moving him, not very not very easy. Mike Rodriguez, slow Mike, but he's tall, lanky, rangy, good kickboxer. When you got Tefan on top of you, there's just nowhere to go. Alberg would be very much in the same situation. Go back also and watch Tefan Njikui versus uh, Willie Knight on the regional scene. Yeah. Pretty good ground game, man. Slick, takes his back, flattens him out, pounds him out with the TKO. But you can see that the guy's actually got some decent grappling to him. So this is going to sound crazy. I don't know if the price changed. As of yesterday on DraftKings Sportsbook, it was plus 1800 to fawn in by submission. Now, he never submitted anybody. I'll, I'll be the first <laughs> one to admit that. But again, it's a styles make fight situation. He um, He's never fought anybody kind of at that level of a Carlos Olberg. Uh, four and one kickboxer, somebody that you could really put some pace on with Olberg. When you did see him against uh, Kendi and Jaku, he definitely gassed out. And when he gassed out, I'm not saying he quit, it's just his body language was not right. Now, if you got a guy on the ground and you're pounding him and he's tired and he's looking for a way out, is he just going to keep taking the punches or is he not going to belly down and give up his back? It's what tends to happen. From there, you lock up the choke. Now, people again are going to say, man, that's crazy. And is it going to happen? I don't know. It's a flyer. But what I will say is we were dead on the money last week with Kevin Holland by submission. Why? Because he is a fucking black belt and he can submit guys. The problem is, is you need a situation where he can use his striking to set up that submission. And against Tim Means, Tim Means is a tough son bitch, but you can break Tim Means. You can put the pressure on him. And what you saw in Tim Means is a lot of his losses by submission. He got broken early. 
gave up the submission late. I almost feel like Allberg might be in the same situation. But regardless, I think it's like slight underdog money for Tafan. I need a couple underdogs on this card. And so uh, I'm going to go with Tafan and Jaquita to get the job done one way or another. Best prop on the card, though. I know I just said Tafan by submission. That's not your best prop. It's a plus 1,800 prop. But uh, I, I would say best prop on the card, Tafan by decision. I just think the wrestling will be effective. He'll be able to get Allberg down, and maybe Allberg won't gas the way I think he will. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a prop. I think I'd take a prop, but I think like the money line on, on Tafan. Ooh, money's coming in on him, man. Eh? He's going slight favorite now. Well, yeah. money going in the right direction. I think Tafan exactly. gets a job. I love it. Great way to cap off the prelim card here for you guys because we got another uh, six fights coming at you and a solid main card. But before we get into that, shout out to the 120 live viewers that we currently have with us on this Thursday evening. We truly appreciate you guys hanging with us. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below to show the all-star you love. And not to mention, shout out to CloudBet as well for supporting the show. Link is in the description below. I got a ton more uh, props to share with you guys on the back end of this show that they've done, especially just for us. We got one for the Magni Rachmanov fight, and then we got uh, a bunch that uh, it captures the entire card pretty much. So shout out to CloudBet. Link is in the description below if you want to you know, play any of those uh, fancy props that they made just for our show. And then also shout out to betonline.ag. They'll match your initial deposit up to $1,000. 50% of it, I should say. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're definitely one of the best sports books out there for MMA because the vast majority of leagues that they cover, not just the UFC, Bellator, PFL, but they got all the regional fix for you guys. The Cage Warriors, the KSWs, the Octagon. I bet half of you guys don't even know there's a promotion called the Octagon, but there is out there in Europe somewhere. If I'm not mistaken, it's, uh, is it the Czech Republic? Yeah, it is Czech Republic. Czech Republic. There you go. Uh, so yeah, Ludovic Ludovic Klein was the uh, champion over there before he made it to the UFC. So make sure you guys go check out Bet Online because you can get your degenerate action down with them over there. All right, Cody, let us get into the main card here, and we got a banger of a fight to kick off the main card. Your boy, Chris Curtis, taking on the BJJ phenom. Adolfo Vieira, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 125 for Chris Curtis, plus 105 the return on Adolfo Vieira. Now it's interesting with the Chris Curtis side of things, right? He wasn't he was seen as that guy that's gonna come into the UFC, maybe get a couple wins, but he'll likely get a losing streak going and then get cut. Nope. That's not what's happening right now because he's on a two-fight winning streak, both of which he was uh, a pretty hefty underdog in. He comes in, defeats Phil Hawes on short notice as a plus 250 underdog, and then follows it up by knocking the crap out of Brendan Allen in round two as a plus 280 underdog. Now the public, the betting public especially, is giving Chris Curtis the respect he deserves. He comes in a slight favorite against Rodolfo Vieira, who, you know, it's pretty easy to break down Vieira fights nowadays, right? He either gets that sub early or he starts to gas out and you can take advantage of it later. But nope. Not in his last fight against Dustin Stoltzfus, where, you know, now we're really starting to see Stoltzfus. He's obviously been cut from the UFC, if I'm not mistaken. And he got third round su subbed again by Gegard, uh, not Gegard, God damn it! I know Gegard Musasi is fine this weekend, but I meant Gerald Mearshart. Um, so I I'm going to I'm gonna put an asterisk beside that for Adolfo Pierre getting a, a third round finish. Because I don't think Dustin really pushed him in that fight. Uh, we saw, I believe it was the entire first round from Vieira. He didn't shoot any takedowns. 
He just stuck with that one, two down the middle. It was obvious that he was just trying to uh, keep his cardio in check. He didn't want to blow his wad as he normally does. And it paid off for him. He was able to go into that third round and get a submission victory. Unfortunately, he's not going to be able to do that here against Chris Curtis. You want to go out there and try to strike with Chris Curtis for five straight minutes? You're going to have to do a lot more than one twos down the middle because my man Chris Curtis is going to be countering you effectively. He's going to be stalking you with his striking and he'll more than likely be able to put your lights out as well. Uh, so Vieira, I don't think he's going to have as much success pacing himself this time as he did in that Stolzfus fight, which is why I believe Chris Curtis is the rightful favorite here. And I do think he'll eventually find that knockout blow. The easiest ways of playing this fight are obviously Chris Curtis by knockout, which is minus 120, or Rodolfo Vieira by submission at plus 190. Any other outcome would be surprising to me. Now, here's a very interesting uh, line uh, or, or, or uh, on the totals here. The under one and a half is currently sitting at minus 155. Under two and a half, which is an alternate total, is minus 365. And then I'm seeing all the way up to minus 900 on certain spots for this fight to not go to decision. Everybody knows what's going to happen here. There's going to be violence. There's going to be a finish. There's a reason that's that chalky. I'm leaning more so with the Chris Curtis side here. I do think he eventually finds that chin of Vieta. I think he is enough of a veteran to stop the submission attempts of Vieta should he get taken to the ground. He's only had one submission loss on his record, which was 11 years ago. Got to believe he's been sharpening up his BJJ skills since that time. I'm certain like there is absolutely a realm where Vieta could find the submission still. I'm not saying that uh, Chris Curtis, 100%, it's a lock of the night that he's going to stop any submission attempts coming his way. But I think he should be good enough in terms of stalling should he get into bad positions to eventually get back into the standing position and then eventually start getting his strikes off and eventually finding that finish. So like I said, Chris Curtis, knockout is the way that I'm going to go. If you want to be a little bit cute with it and go uh, Chris Curtis, uh, poke that round three proper on. I'm seeing plus 600 up to a plus 1,000 for him to win in round three. But I could see this coming even earlier. I think he's going to... I think he's going to find that chin of Vieira and eventually put him out here. So give me Chris Curtis to extend his winning streak to what is it going to be now? One, two, three, four, eight, five, I think. six, seven. This will be his eighth straight victory and third straight in the UFC if he can get his hand raised this weekend. I think he's going to. I'd be surprised if Cody doesn't pick Chris Curtis here, but I'm interested to still hear his breakdown for this fight. What are you thinking here, Cody? Yeah, Chris Curtis, my boy. I wish different prop to bad all-stars. Uh, just, you know, someone some, someone could release this prop for me. But uh, yeah, you can get Chris Curtis in round one or two, plus 110. You can get Chris Curtis in round three or decision, plus 500. I want the Chris Curtis round two or three, right? Because that's how I think it's going to play out. Of course, action man, my guy, bias aside, you know what I what I... Ball out with this guy to the very end. Yeah, for sure. He cashed us really good against Phil Haas as a plus 240 favorite. He cashed even better against Brandon Allen as a plus 260 favorite. Both times scoring first-round knockouts. And he's not known for his first-round knockouts. He's actually a guy that is a little steam engine. He just builds momentum. He's kind of a bit of a slow starter at times. Not in the UFC, apparently. But uh, he, he can fight five rounds. He's got excellent cardio. He's always in good shape. Takedown defense is solid. He puts himself in a position to win. I think that he's the real deal. If I had to shit on my boy, because I'd never shit on my boy. But if I had to like put the slightest bit of hesitancy out there, I will admit two things. Thing number one, he's a small middleweight, right? The guy's a welterweight. 100% yeah. he's a 170 pound fighter. But when they offer him Phil Hawes on short notice, it's like, I'm 34 years old. I'm a 30 fight pro. I'm completely broke. He said he had $50 to his name when he accepted the Phil Hawes fight. The Phil Hawes fight, you remember the first time around Phil Hawes pulled out. It was a short notice replacement. He didn't want to fight Chris Curtis right away. The UFC had to give him a thousand bucks to get him by till they could book it a week or two later. He's flat broke. Of course you're going to take that fight. 
and he knocks him out. $50,000 bonus. Kick ass. Now the UFC calls, do you want to fight Brandon Allen? Well, he is actually used to train with Brandon Allen, so he's familiar with him. Knows he can beat him. So why not? Take the money. Goes out, knocks him out. $50,000. Great. Then he breaks his fucking wrist, right? He was supposed to fight Dreykus Duplacis, and he broke his wrist. Pulls out of the fight. He's been rehabbing a wrist injury, and now they offer him this fight at 185. He's not putting himself in the best position to win. He's probably coming in slightly compromised, a little bit injured, up a weight class, taking on just like a ferocious beast of a man that's going to try to pull him to the ground and submit him. So in that regard, it's a little bit difficult. Also, when you look at the guys he's been fighting, Brandon Allen's not you know that big physical specimen. Phil Hawes is, but Phil Hawes never shot the takedown. Kenny Robertson, Jerome Hatch, uh, Juan Romo Grano Medina, Kyle Stewart, Darren Smith Jr. Nah, these guys aren't good, right? Those guys aren't going to be able to put that same pace that Vieira could. And I think if Vieira gets Chris Curtis down, it could be a problem. But uh, nah, fuck all that noise. This is Action Man we're talking about. Been submitted once in his entire career, very long time ago, third round. He works on his ground game. It's solid. He's got no idea in his head or he's got no you know, grand plan on his head and trying to take down Rodolfo Vieira and trying to submit him. No, it's going to be sprawl and brawl. Keep the fight standing, box him up. You saw Brandon Allen get a really nice bite on a takedown, pick him up, slam him to the ground. Chris Curtis, very explosive, gets back up right away. The only time he does get taken down and held down is a Magomed Magomed Karamov over in PFL. That dude was went healthy, just a straight-up beast. And you're taking on a guy that his name's Magomed, you got a problem. You're taking on a guy who's got Magomed twice in his fight. <laughs> not good not good exactly. chris curtis loses that fight but you got to keep in mind he took the second one on like a week's notice and the pfl tournament you don't have much time like there's yeah. all these excuses you could make for him i won't waste your time let's just break down how does this fight physically go okay rodolfo vera as you mentioned his fight with stolfus he didn't want to press the takedowns too much too early because he didn't want to gas himself out so he started working on his newfound striking abilities Thing is, he's not a good striker. He's very robotic. He's stiff. His timing is not very good. And I think that Chris Curtis is going to pick up the rhythm and start intercepting him. If he tries to push the pace and try to get the takedowns too early, he's going to overexert himself. He's going to get tired, at which point Chris Curtis will knock him out in the second round. If he stays at range, Chris Curtis is going to pick away at him until he probably knocks him out in the second round. If Rodolfo comes in excellent shape with an excellent game plan, is able to neutralize him for a couple of those rounds, then I think Chris Curtis will knock him out in the third round. But I think second or third round, Chris is putting him away. Uh, the line seems awesome. It was minus 135. I see money still coming in on Rodolfo Vieira. And I just go back to what has Rodolfo Vieira done for us, right? I mean, his BJJ uh, accolades are a long time ago. And, and if you watch him in straight jiu-jitsu now, he's not the same guy he was five years ago. This guy was the best in the world at one point. Now, keep in mind this, okay? Him and Kanan Duarte, who's the best in the world now? Uh, a decision, right? And then they rematch. One year later, Kane Duarte subbed him in two minutes and 28 seconds, right? Because one guy's just doing jiu-jitsu now. The other guy's trying to pick up other skills. So Rodolfo's BJJ days are not the most elite anymore. His fights in the UFC, Saperbeck Safarov, Oscar Pachota, you know, Dustin Stolfus, those are low level, right? Anthony Hernandez is a guy with good cardio, good pace. So what did Hernandez do? He just survived early. Survived early, showed some resistance, fought back, and as a result, tired him out and choked him out. Unbelievable. Chris Kerr is not going to tire him out and choke him out, but tire him out and knock him out. So that's what I'm going with here. Action, man. We had two way harder fights in our last two fights with Chris Curtis. This should be the easier of the three, so don't let me down now. But I will admit, a, a wrist injury, and you're going to see a big size difference come weigh-ins, man. That's a little nerve-wracking. In terms of actual metrics, uh, in terms of the uh, 
the, the height and reach here. We got Curtis coming in at 5'10, Rodolfo Vera at six foot on the dot. Uh, actually, two inch reach advantage as well for Chris Curtis. But Vieira is a thick human being, and we'll definitely see it, like you said, on the uh, at the Wayans here. And uh, a, a good question here from Fireside that I'd like your opinion on, Cody. Uh, what is the line on this fight without the fluffy fight had it not occurred? Yeah, if the fluffy fight never occurred, then you'd be looking at it like, oh, this guy just takes guys down in the first round and submits them. But then what's the excuse with Dustin Stolfus? You know, like he looks stiff, he looks robotic, and he takes all the way to the third round to submit him. In fact, he got outstruck like 60 to 47 against Dustin Stolfus. So now imagine he's getting outstruck by a heavy hitter who's a much better adequate striker who actually has the power in his hands. He probably gets folded over. I would have to say without without that Dustin stole or sorry without the uh, the fluffy Hernandez submission maybe you got Rodolfo Vieira as a slight favorite but the line the bookmakers have learned their lesson about giving you plus money on Chris Curtis so one thing I will say if you're a conspiracy theory guys like I've met Chris Curtis on a number of occasions and he's not five ten <laughs> so uh, I don't know who measured him in the UFC or topology or whatever the case is but like he five nine with shocked up hair at the top. <laughs> I love it. Maybe maybe they took that into consideration. Yeah, it seems like topology and UFC stats both of them have him at five ten. But we'll see what the eye test once these guys actually face off with each other uh, tomorrow once the weigh-ins conclude. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Here we got a men's bantamweight scrap. This one is a heavy chalked favorite. Umar Namagbedov coming in at minus twelve hundred, taking on Nate Maness plus six fifty. Now Maness is, you know, no stranger to being the underdog and being able to pull off the upset. That's what he's had to do over his last three fights inside the UFC. Definitely in the last two fights, I believe the Johnny Munoz Jr. fight, he was a slight. Uh, I believe it was like minus one ten, minus one fifteen, or something like that. But he was de- uh, definitely the underdog in his two prior fights to so that Luke Sanders and Tony Gravely. Now, neither of those guys are Umar Namagamadov, but you you did see some things that you got to uh, commend Nate Maness for in those fights, which was, you know, takedown defense and the ability to get back to his feet and then just co- have confidence in his hands to eventually put away his opponents because that's exactly what he was able to do. I, I, again, it's going to be a completely different level of grappling he's going to go up against here with Nurmagomedov, but that's not what Nurmagomedov just has, right? He's a pretty good striker. I'd say maybe out of all of the Nurmagomedovs, maybe with the exception of Saeed, he's probably one of the better strikers from that crop of Dagestani guys, but he does such a good job in terms of mixing in that striking with his grappling, and he's fancy with it too. We'll see him throw the spinning shit and turn that into a takedown and eventually uh, you know, start mauling his opponents from on top. He really likes the rear naked choke, of which he has plenty on his record, and I could definitely see that being a path to victory for him here against Vanessa. but the spot that I'm kind of feeling the most uh has got to be the uh where is it here uh fight doesn't go to the decision at minus 200 i know it's a little bit chalky but i definitely see finishing opportunities from both sides maness obviously screwed me over in the last fight where he uh finished tony gravely i was pretty big on gravely that night um but uh we we saw uh, maness obviously stop the takedowns there and eventually finish him off i believe in the second round uh, and if he could, you know, stop takedowns and continue to get back to his feet against Nurmagomedov, he is live to eventually find that finish himself. And that KO at plus 1,200 is what it pays out if Maness gets the KO. But I do believe Nurmagomedov deserves to be the favorite. Minus 1,200 is, you know, never advisable to parlay if you guys are, like, just looking to, you know, if, if there are much better guys to parlay in the uh on this card and get better value off of than a minus 1200 because if you add it to a parlay how much does it really affect your parlay and your payout and you know you're you're putting up 
quite a big risk here, um, especially for, you know, a guy in Maness who can find that knockout, but also there's banana peel situations that we've talked about in the past too, right? Of course, Nurmagomedov should win this fight. I haven't capped closer to 85% in this fight. I do think he's definitely going to run away with it, but Maness is a very tough opposition and he continues to prove that time and time again. I still think Nurmagomedov wipes him in pretty much every aspect of this fight. Maybe the striking is a little bit closer than the odds actually indicate, but I do think that Nurmagomedov will successfully get his grappling going and I think he'll eventually be able to find a submission at a certain point in this fight, which is why I like the fight doesn't go to decision because it covers either outcome. It covers the Nurmagomedov submission, which is plus 100. It covers the Menes KO, which is plus 1200, but I like that assurance of no matter who gets the finish, my ticket still cashes. So give me the chalk on the uh, fight doesn't go to decision at minus two hundred, and uh, give me Nurmagomedov by sub at plus one hundred. Am I am I blowing too much uh, smoke up people's asses about Manes here, or do you think he's a little bit liver than the line actually indicates? Well, I mean, dude's live because he's shown us so far in the UFC that there's absolutely zero quit in him, and he's going to fight till the end, and that becomes dangerous at some point. All three of his wins could easily be losses. The Johnny Munoz Jr. fight, nobody scored it for him. I mean, he got outstruck, he got taken down. Johnny Munoz lost a point, and still most people thought that Johnny Munoz should have won the fight, but Naaman S gets the decision fair. Against Luke Sanders, he's getting lit up bad in the first round, and then Luke Sanders was a classic Luke Sanders, and Nate works his way back in. Tony Gravely is the same thing. He gets knocked down bad in the first round. The round ends. The ref should have stopped it. The corner runs in. They pick Nate Maness up. He don't know where he's at. They carry him back to the corner. They wake him up. They explain to him, dude, you're in a fight. He broke his jaw, right? And then he goes out and he beats Tony Gravely in the second round. If that is not some incredible shit, I don't know what is. This guy is Kentucky strong, man. That being said, it's like you see these just glaring holes in his game where it's like somebody's eventually going to take advantage. Now him and his manager have been super adamant. They want to fight Adrian Yanez. And after seeing what Yanez did last weekend against Tony Kelly, you don't want to fight these guys that are super precise because if you're going to allow yourself to be hittable and Nate Maness is hittable, I mean, his chin's good in that he hasn't gone all the way out, but you hit the ground like a sack of potatoes like that. It's a bit of a problem. This is where I think Umar will thrive on him. I was tempted again to potentially hit this Umar Nurmagomedov by KO plus 500. The problem is, is that Umar hasn't knocked anybody out in a really long time. But he's only 26, doesn't fight a whole lot. So again, it's not like he doesn't have the striking. You know he's a good striker. It's that he prefers to get the fight to the ground and choke the guys out with the rear naked choke. And that's kind of what I think is going to happen here. I think stand-up-wise, Nate Maness is going to try to pressure him. He's going to try to bully him into maybe a clinch-type situation. Uh, Umar is just going to try to stay lateral, use his footwork. And I think at some point he's going to intercept Nate Maness, hit him with something, and hurt him. The difference here is when Sanders hurt him, he just kept trying to punch. When Gravely hurt him, he just tried to kept punch. When Umar hurts him, he's going to take the back and choke him out with a rear naked choke. So I think yeah. that's the difference. Discombobulate him and stop punching. Choke him out. I think that would be the best course of action. I think that's what he's going to go. No doubt Nate Maness is tough, 100%. Only lost to Taylor Lapalos, who's an absolute stud. And uh, again, it's like a third-round sidekick to the body that puts him out. So hurting him with strikes is definitely on the table. It's putting him away is a lot easier said than done as his last two opponents can attest to. So in this situation, I think Umar does get it done. Nine to one, it is banana peel pricing. You know, what's the worst case scenario? And there's a lot of worst case scenarios in MMA for sure. But unlike unlike a Dean Barry who just flat out fucking oh sucks, God. but you're, you're trying to bank on the fact that Mike Jackson's worse. Like instead of a situation like that, at least you got Umar Nurmagomedov pretty damn good and uh you know name is good too i just think that nirmagomedov should be a 
minus 375, minus 400 favorite. They're going to give him to you at nine to one, a little bit tough to stomach. So you got to try to chase a prop. And yeah, I think in the inside the distance, you also mentioned the fight doesn't go the distance. A little chalky for my liking, minus 200. But, uh, but again, if Umar is going to win, it's typically inside the distance. And if Nate Maness is going to win, it's taking a beating in the early going and then pulling off a little bit of magic down the stretch. So I like it. With Umar, though, I, I will say it's hard to uh, get a full range of him because if you watch the Sidomar Honorio fight or you know, even better, the uh, Sayukub Kakramanov, Kakramanov in the UFC now, he don't look that good, right? The problem is, is that it's 2018, so it's almost five years ago, and he's like 21 years old at the time, so he's super young. Now in the UFC, he fought Sergey Morozov. He took a two-year-long layoff, fought Morozov, choked him out, took a 15-month layoff or a 14-month layoff, beat Kelleher, uh, and now now he's finally getting that quick turnaround. But again, at 26, he's only improving. His confidence is getting better. I think great things from him, and I think that Nate Maness is a good opponent to showcase his skills. So I got him getting the job done. We see this with a lot of these guys that are um, uh, very skilled and highly touted early in their careers, and they're just grinding out a lot of their guys, and they're showing their positional dominance in a lot of these grappling exchanges. But then you see them grow into their finishing capabilities, and that's what I think we're starting to see from Umar. And uh, I think we see him continue that finishing streak, which I think will be four straight now, four straight finishes if he can go up there and get that finish over Nate Maness. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got four fights left. This one is in the lightweight division, and we're looking at Tiago Moises coming in as a minus 240 favorite, going up against uh, Christos Iagos coming in as a plus 200 underdog. Tiago Moises is bouncing or attempting to bounce back from a two-fight losing streak, the first of which which was his uh, main event slot against Islam Mahachev, where he got rear naked choked in the fourth round. That was July of last year, and then he followed that up with a, uh, a quick loss or a quick-ish loss, three-minute loss to Joel Alvarez in November of last year, where... Joel Alvarez gave him no respect. He marched through everything that Tiago Moises threw at him and just absolutely butchered the man and eventually finished him in that fight. That was a you know a big wake-up call for a lot of people uh, on the Joel Alvarez side, which is why I think he got as much love as he did when he went into the Armand Sarukian fight then we saw Surikin was just on a completely different level. Uh, Tiago Moises, you know, his striking was really starting to come together, uh, you know, starting to catch up with his grappling or, or his jujitsu, which was pretty much the high point uh, or, or his strength coming into the MMA world. But you see, you know, even in his regional days where he goes out there and outstrikes his opponents, he has great combinations, has a great head kick as well, which he's managed to knock out a couple of opponents with. Um, but I do think that this is a great fight for him to showcase that uh, he, he's still one of the better guys out there. I do think he's still top 15 worthy, and I do think he'll be able to showcase that here against Christos Yagos, who, you know, the majority of Yagos' success comes from him being able to outgrapple his opponents, take him to the ground, stay out of submissions, grind them out, and just survive round three because his gas tank has looked like dog shit in the past and i don't think he's really done much to improve what it could look like uh especially in this fight against tiago moises and we've seen moises go five rounds should he have to um so i do believe he'll definitely have the cardio advantage in this fight and i th i think he'll have the slight striking advantage um and then on the ground, I just don't think that Yagos will do enough to, to to control him on the ground here. So I completely understand why Moises is this big of a favorite. Got to believe he's going to come in with the fire lit under his ass, especially coming off of two straight losses. Um, yeah, I, I think he goes out there and 
just outworks Yago over 15 minutes. There is the possibility that he can get that third round finish, but we're only getting about plus 800 for Moises in round three. But I do think we'll see uh, Moises just touch him up for the majority of this fight and then eventually win this fight via decision, which currently sits at plus 190 for Moises to take it on the judges' scorecards. Fight to go to decision is currently even money. I don't mind that either. You know, I mean, if if Yagos is somehow successful and and Moises is comfortable just playing guard and, and trying to throw up submissions and try to get something off of his back, but nothing comes to fruition, Yagos could steal this on the scorecards by just grinding him out for two rounds. He is probably the better wrestler in this spot, but I just don't think he has the cardio nor the uh, durability to keep that up for 15 minutes against the guy of Tiago Moises' skill set. So a little bit iffy for me to bet Tiago Moises at minus 240. I do think he's the better uh, fighter here. I do think he should be the favorite, but I do see this fight going the full 15 minutes. Like I said, fight goes to decision at even money intrigues me, but Moises to win by decision at plus 190 probably has my uh, my ear the most here. How about yourself? Yeah, I got the exact, exact same thing. I think Moises wins. Moises wins by decision, plus 190, good price, but also got fight goes the distance as like a little bit of a safety net, right? Because if Jagos is going to win, he's not going to knock him out. He's not going to submit him. So if he wins, possible, but it's going to be him front running the first two rounds and gassing it and holding on in the third, whatever, we're going to hit that plus 100. If Moises is able to survive that first round, I think he'll survive it, but lose the first round, come back, win the second and the third over a tired Jagos, then he wins, picks up the decision, plus 190. So... I like it from both sides, and I can't actually add much more than what you said. Christos Jagos is who he is. I think he'd be a phenomenal fighter if he had better cardio, but everything he does is just very explosive, very athletic, puts everything into everything he does, and as a result, he tends to gas out rather quickly. He's gassed out against bad opponents, too. The Mizuta Harada fight, third round, he's mm-hmm. holding on. Carlton Minus, the third round, he's holding on. Like These are low-level guys, man, but if you can't take them out within the first two, he completely gasses himself. So it's a risk-reward kind of situation. He's entertaining. You know, he likes to go and put it on. But for the most part, it's like he just, he got to get that quick finish or else he's going to fall completely apart. Um, the other thing is, is that he relies on his wrestling predominantly to get the job done. He just does not seem comfortable with his stand-up. I mean, can he strike a little bit? But he does not want to be in a prolonged striking battle. When he gets hit, he does not wear it particularly well. And he's very, very, very low volume. You look at, again, a lot of his fights. These are 15-minute fights, okay? He landed 28 against Chris Wade. He landed 31 against Mizuta Harada. He landed 47 against Demir Hadzovic. Another fight he gassed out, by the way. He landed 31 against Carlton Minus. These are 15-minute fights, and he can't break 50 significant strikes landed in any of them. The Sean Soriano fight, he got his ass kicked in the first round. Eh, Most people who fight Sean Soriano lose the first round. And then they come back and beat him. So that's all well and good. But again, he was not looking good early, mostly with that stand-up. And then, of course, with Armin Sarukin, he just gets knocked out in two minutes. So he's not going to come into the Moises fight looking to stand up. He's going to look to bowl him to the ground. Is he capable of doing that? Sure. But Moises is good off his back, right? Moises has also got a decent get-up game, not against his Lamakachev, but against lesser guys than him. He can get back up. And he was able to continuously get back up. I think he will land the better strikes. The more tired Jagos gets, the harder the takedowns will be to come by, the more that the striking will start to separate the two of them. And I think that Moises will just ever so slightly edge out. He could win a 30-27, but I feel more comfortable saying he'll win a 29-28 en route to a decision, which we would hit plus 190 on. Fight goes the distance, another plus 100. We'd all be okay with that. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, and I never thought we would ever see Ellen Baudot as a favorite in the UFC 
But here we are. He's taking on Josh Parisian. Badeau coming in as a minus 120 favorite, plus 100 the return on Parisian. So not the biggest of favorites here for Badeau. But given how they match up in this fight, I completely understand why he is where he's at. Technically speaking, he's probably the better striker of the two. Parisian probably has better experience. Uh, but he's a guy that heavily relies on his power. Not the greatest with his takedowns, I believe, in his UFC career, including uh, the fight that he had on the or two fights he had on the contender series is only completed one takedown and that was against Roki Martinez but he has an abysmal 11% takedown accuracy rate on the flip side for Alain Baudot uh, he's on a three fight losing streak right now you could call it four fight losing streak if you want to include that Todd Stout fight that he had which he for some reason has as a win on his record for those that are not in the know Todd Stout finished him in the third round via submission, something that Todd has never done in his MMA career to begin with. Uh, and then he tested positive for weed uh, in that fight. And the Quebec Commission, as crooked and weird as they are, uh, they decide to turn that not to a no contest, but to actually a win for Alan Baudot that night. So uh, if you have any of your predictors or analysts or handicappers telling you otherwise, they definitely haven't watched the tape, nor do they know what they're talking about. But Alan Baudot in this spot, uh, this seems like the most favorable fight for him he's had in a while, right? Uh, striker versus striker primarily, but you got to believe that Baudot probably has more pop on his shots. He could probably land on the chin of Parisian more often than Parisian would be able to land on him. I think he'll also have the slight speed advantage, which will likely be the difference maker in this fight. And I think at a certain point, he's going to be able to find that chin of Parisian and put him down and out. You know, I'm not a big Parisian guy. I'm not sure why he was always like this, uh, you know, a solid favorite. I believe he was a, what was he against Parker Porter? He was minus 230 against Parker Porter, loses that fight. He was obviously a big favorite here again, or sorry, he was minus 145 against Roque Martinez, barely scrapes that fight out. Plus 155 dog to Don May. So we're really starting to see what kind of fighter he is. And I feel like a guy in Alan Baudot, who's a much better striker, will be able to continue to, uh, you know, exaggerate how bad Josh Parisian actually is. Unless Parisian, uh, you know, really goes out there and wrestles heavily, I, I still don't think if he takes that that approach that he will be that successful and actually be able to control uh, Baudot on the ground or get a submission on the ground against Baudot. So uh, I lean the Baudot side here. I see the over one and a half is currently sitting at minus 185. I think a lot of people are expecting this to be a slow, plodding, heavyweight slop fest where this goes into the second and third rounds. But I'm actually of the other belief, man. I think that Baudot will eventually find that chin of Parisian early in this fight, put him down and put him out. You know, I think that he's that much better of a striker than what Parisian brings to the table. Uh, yeah, give me give me Baudot early here. Baudot KO currently sits at plus 160. Baudot in round one, plus 350. Baudot KO round one is plus 365 on, uh, on FanDuel if you guys have access to that. Yeah, even the under one and a half, man. I might be that uh, that cheeky guy here that takes the plus one fifty five and uh, thinks that we get an early finish here. I think a lot of that is front loaded on the uh, the 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 Josh Parisian side because a lot of his fights have crept into that third round. But I think the way that he matches up with Baudo here will likely give us fireworks early in this fight, and I think we'll see Baudo come out with the hand with his hand raised as well as for, as well as his first ever UFC victory. What about you, Cody? Yeah, I mean, this is a kind of a pass fight for me. I could see where you're coming with with Alan Baudot. I had the guy completely written off. Todd Stout not only choked him out, first time he ever choked out anybody, but he kicked his ass, man. It was not even competitive. Alan Baudot looked like shit at 205 pounds. Then he was up to heavyweight against Tom Aspinall, and everybody and their mother fades him, and you know, he looks like shit. Turns out Aspinall's a beast. 
But uh, we all knew it was going to happen. So then I faded the absolute shit out of him against Rodrigo Nascimento. Dude, he looked good in the first round, man. He won the first round against Nascimento. But he landed 50 of 60 significant strikes in the first round. In the second round, gassed out. He landed 10 in the second round. And then himself got knocked out. So he didn't pace himself properly. He went got balls to the walls in the first and gassed himself out. Then the fight with Parker Porter. Again, I loaded up heavy on Parker Porter. Parker Porter was on my top ticket, right, of the parlays. All I do is fade Alan Bodo. And again, he actually looked a lot better against Parker Porter. Striking was a lot better. He's got some decent enough hand speed, a little bit of pop. But you did see when he got taken down, he's got absolutely no get-up game. He's just got nothing off of his back. So, you know, on one hand, you do see some small improvements out of him. He is from the MMA Fight Factory Paris, which, of course, produced uh, Francis Ngannou once upon a time. Now more so the Lapless Brothers and Cyril Gaon and those guys. Nasruddin yeah, of course. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me soda. <laughs> I can't really drink soda right now because of my strep throat, but uh, eventually, you know, we'll get together. <laughs> but yeah, it's like you do see those improvements out of him. You know, there maybe is something there, but he's an undersized heavyweight, regardless of the fact that he's weighing 250 pounds. Like, this is a guy that could make 205 if he's in better yeah. shape. His striking is really not all that good, and his volume's not really that good. He only landed 55 against Parker Port. He's trying to hold back. The fight prior against Nassimeno, he lets his hands go but he gasses himself out. That's all problematic because Josh Friesen is terrible. He's not very good. But for a big guy, I oh, mean, he keeps coming at you. Like, that's one thing about him. When he fought Parker Porter, it was just a dreadful fight, but a slugfest, right? I think Parker Porter lands 120. He lands 110. They go back and forth. The fight with Roque Martinez, not very pretty, but he does get a takedown. I think there's little glimpses here and there of not a good fighter, but there's little glimpses here and there of skills that he could actually use in a practical situation here against Alan Bodo. I mean, if Alan Bodo is the favorite against anybody, my natural instinct is I got to hit the fade button and just go dog or pass. Simple as that. But how would Josh Friesen theoretically win this fight on the volume stand up? I think Bodo is probably a better striker, maybe a little more, you know, crisp, but uh, does he have that big knockout power? He's not knocked out anybody in the UFC. You know, he was knocking out random Japanese guys back in the day, but I couldn't say anything's really of a high level, I don't think. So Parisian can take a decent enough punch, and if he can take that punch early and just wear on him, it's going to be a problem. In terms of being in the clinch, Parisian likes to lean on guys in the clinch, and when you're carrying a guy that's 262 pounds and you're a natural 205-er, it'll tire Bodo out. So if Parisian can come forward, be the aggressor, let the volume go, and then hopefully trip him down, take him to the ground, he can just do it twice. He's not going to get back up. Therefore, you could squeak out a couple rounds, and you know I could see Josh Parisian getting the job done. But not a pretty fight, not something you'd want any investment in. And to be perfectly honest with you, when I look at this card, like it's a lot of favorites. I agree with a vast majority of these favorites. Need a couple underdogs here and there. And if I was going to fade any favorite, it'd have to be Alan Bodeau, right? So... Keep it really low on the list of priorities this week, but uh, I'm going to go with Parisian ever so slightly. Yeah, you're definitely not going to catch me betting the the minus 120 on Baudot, but I, I am intrigued by the the props here on the finishing props because I do think he's the better striker, but we'll see how it plays out once these guys actually throw down this Saturday. All right, two fights left. Coleman event, high stakes here in the uh, welterweight division. We got Neil Magny giving Shavkat Rachmanov his first tough test since coming into the UFC. But Rachmanov still minus 450 favorite in this fight, plus 350 to return on Neil Magny. I, I'm a big Neil Magny guy, right? There's there's fights where I feel like he's very uh, solid. He He's a guy that can go out there and spring the upset in certain situations like he did in the Li Jing Liang fight. Or he's a guy as a solid favorite who, you know, 
not as you know recently he's been making a little bit closer than it should be but in past fights he's really you know made it uh look like he should be the obvious favorite but the max griffin fight shows off his veterancy there i believe he dropped the first or second round but managed to rally back and win that third round to win that fight we know what we're getting out of him right cardio pace uh non-stop movement decent distance striking good dirty clinch work but his grappling defense is really where he starts to fall short. That's where guys are really able to stay, uh, take advantage of him, and that's why they're able to get the victory in most of their uh, whenever he goes up against those kind of guys. Just for example, like the last time he lost, Michael Chiesa lands four takedowns in a five-round fight and controls that fight for 15 minutes and 21 seconds. Um, there were other guys. I'm trying to look back. Rafael Dos Anjos obviously gets that arm triangle choke victory um, in the the first round back in 2017, but besides those two losses, his only other loss was that Santiago Ponzinibbio fight where he got his legs torched up for about four rounds before he eventually succumbed to it and then gave up that uh, knockout victory for Santiago. So he's gotten finished in two out of those three fights dating back to 2017. But in the midst of that, he's picked up seven victories as well, right? Against guys like Carlos Condit, Craig White, Li Jing Liang, uh, Tony Martin, uh, Robbie Lawler, Jeff Neal, and Max Griffin. He, he still has what it takes to give guys a, a tough day at the office. Unfortunately, Shavka Rachmanov has everything that you would want when you're going up against a guy like Neil Magny. He has a grappling advantage. He should be able to drag this fight to the ground. I think he's, I think, let me just quickly look at the, uh, the, how they match up in terms of length here, because they're both quite long and tall. Uh, 6'3 for Neil Magny, 6'1 for Shavkat. So that's a two inch height advantage for Magny, and then also a three inch reach advantage for Neil Magny at 80 inches here. Um, but that still doesn't deter me from thinking that Rachmanov will likely be able to get those double underhooks, drag this fight to the ground, and then just do work from from on top. Magny is definitely one of those guys that's in the wrestling room. I, you know, I uh, I follow one of his coaches, Cody Donovan, very closely, and more often than not, you see whenever he posts an IG story, they're in the wrestling room trying to really work on that game for Neil Magny. But at this stage of his career, how much better is he going to be able to get in terms of being able to keep fights upright and then do his work from there? especially against heavy grapplers like a guy like Shavkat Rachmanov. So I'm not running to the betting window to bet Shavkat at minus 450, but I do think that this is likely his fight to go out there and just drag this fight to the ground over and over again until he eventually opens up a finishing opportunity for himself, whether it be submission, whether it be TKO from on top. I think Shavkat gets him out of there. I'm not 100% sold on Shavkat yet, but I'm just waiting for the proper opportunity to you know bet against him with a more reliable fighter. Neil Magny, stylistically speaking, does not match up well at all here against Shavkat. Now, before I pass it on over to you, Cody, uh, special cloud bet prop for this fight specifically, over under two and a half successful takedowns from Shavkat Rachmanov. What are you thinking here? Yeah, I don't think he's going to try to take down Neil Magny. Like, I think he wins the fight. Yeah, well, just honestly, the way I think that Neil Magny would win this fight is up against the cage. Like, he's got really good cage control. He's good at kind of neutralizing guys' length. And just kind of digging underhooks, going a wrist lock, or like a, you know, basically just a lot of neutralizing tactics. But I think he can wall install a guy pretty good. Uh, he's always kind of been good at that. Again, like you mentioned, he's working a lot on his wrestling. And typically when Neil Magny shows up and wins fights, pulls off these upsets, is competitive, it's he can get his wrestling going. So for Shavkat Rachmanov, I think keeping your distance is going to be the key here. You know, keep him at bay, use your long rangey striking. 
Rachmanov's got 16 wins, right? They're all inside the distance. Like the guy's an absolute finishing machine. And I think he can finish Neil Magny, but certainly being in a clinch battle with them is probably not, you know, the best path of victory. I also think when Shavkat Rachmanov, he's been perfect inside the UFC, but where have you maybe seen him struggle a little bit in the Alex Oliveira fight, right? Where Alex Oliveira controlled them up against the cage for the vast majority of the first round before he locked in that guillotine choke. So if I'm Neil Magny in his, in his camp, I'm saying the same thing. Neil, don't stand at range with this guy. You know, shooting from a distance is going to be tough because he's hard to take down, but just press him up against the cage, dig your underhooks. You know, uh, if you can trap one of the wrists, you know, just, just anything you can do to keep him flustered up against the cage and not landing on you would be the key. Now I'll agree. Like you said, Neil Magny's still getting some quality victories and, you know, he beat Jeff Neal and he beat Carlos Condit and this, that, and the other. But you got to kind of judge these guys by their last fights because in Neil Magny's case, he ain't getting any younger. I mean, I believe he's 34 years old. He's starting to get a little bit of mileage on him. He's starting to get up there in, in not only years, but fight years more so than anything. So I got to go back to that Max Griffin fight. He looked like shit. He got dropped by Max Griffin. He got outstruck by Max Griffin. He was wrestling, did not look good against Max Griffin. That was a bad fight. Neil Magny won. I was happy he won. He greased it out but not a very good performance. When I think about him versus Rachmanov, he's going to run into all the same issues and then 10 times 10, right? If he's if he's struggling with uh, Max Griffin at distance, he's going to struggle big time with Rachmanov at distance. If he's struggling to consistently get Max Griffin to the ground, he's going to struggle with Rachmanov. And of course, Rachmanov a better grappler as well. So I just get the impression that he's going to, at some point, catch him clean and put him away. Uh, Neil Magny hasn't been finished in quite some time. I think the last time he's been... Knocked Ponsonibio. out with Santiago Ponzinibbio. Yeah, yeah, 2018. So four years ago, he got knocked out um, by Santiago Ponzinibbio. Before that, Lorenz Larkin. But if you remember those fights, they just come at him hard. Larkin just came right at him and just bull rushed him, knocks him out. Ponzinibbio, it's in the fourth round, but chips away at him and then eventually get, just closes the pocket, closes that distance, gets on him. I feel like Rachmanov's just another level. Like this guy will challenge for a title. Even if Neil Magny defeats him, that doesn't, that doesn't deter my opinion on the guy. Like he's probably going to have to lose a few times, go through those trials and tribulations, the learning experience, get better, all this, that, and the other. But I really think this guy's fine. He's polished. I liken him to a Demir Ishmagulov, who I'm a huge fan of. The difference is Ishmagulov is precise and has to do everything right over the course of 15 minutes because he doesn't really have any finishing ability, right? This guy, not the case, man. If he hits you with his laser precision accuracy, you're done. Because one, he's got the accuracy, but two, he's just got a whole lot of power behind it. His submission game, opportunistic. I don't want to see him fishing for submissions too much against Neo Magni. But again, it's on the table. The biggest concern is just don't allow yourself to get dragged into this clinch battle up against the cage. Separate, strike. The one thing that gives me a little bit of confidence is judges haven't really been scoring clinch battles all that effective um, the last little bit, unless you're going to do some damage with it. And I think the damage and the more meaningful shots are going to come from Shafkat Rachmanov. So, uh, yeah, I got Rachmanov to get the job done. I'm leaning towards that knockout prop inside the distance. And, um, yeah, yeah, I just I, th I think he's a top contender. I think he's a really bright prospect. Yeah, Rachmanov inside the distance currently sitting around minus one sixty on certain spots. I am leaning more so the submission prop here at plus two seventy five. But if you guys are in line with Cody's thinking with the KO, you'd be getting about plus one fifty on that line there. All right, uh, shout out to my guy Justin Villegas saying here, but Magni is the Chukagian of decision fights. He's unfortunately not going to be able to chew Kagi in his way to a decision victory here, especially against the guy who wears a fucking wolf as a hat. If he wants that. Here. Yeah, yeah. I know. Like those badass Dagestani guys are wearing like sheep hats. Like this guy's got a motherfucking wolf hat. What do you think is going on backstage? <laughs> oh, exactly. All right. That brings us to our main event. Shout out to the 140 live viewers hanging with us on this Thursday afternoon. Smash that like, hit that subscribe. 
remind the all-star folks that you guys love having us on their channel and make sure you guys drop a comment as well let us know what your favorite props are for this card uh and we will also be sure to uh keep plugging those cloud bet props for you guys as well which i'll do after we finish up this main event but also shout out to betonline.ag another big sponsor for the show that's allowing you guys to get us free on a weekly basis uh, link is in the description below. They'll match your initial deposit up to a thousand dollars. Uh, yeah, take full advantage of them. They are definitely one of the best MMA sports books out there. The only thing better, I gotta say, Cody, is Cloudbet because of how uh how much they're cooperative with us in terms of the props that we want to get out there and to make it even special by partnering up with the show. All right, main event time, streaking prospects. About to collide here this weekend. We got Armand Sarukian coming in as a minus 280 favorite, plus 235 for the former KSW champion, Matoush Gamrat. Very fun fight here. One of the you know bigger tests for our Armand Sarukian since coming to the UFC. Obviously, none get bigger than his UFC debut against Islam Mahachev. But he made a very good account of himself that night, which is why people are very high on him, which is why he was a... Minus 160 favorite over Olivier Aubameau-Mercier. Minus 240 favorite over Davi Hamosh. Minus 700 favorite over Matt Frivola. Minus 850 favorite over Christos Iagos. There was a little bit of hype on Joel Alvarez in his last fight, but he was still the minus 280 favorite that night. And he has that same price tag here against Matos Kamrat, who was definitely a much more... Uh, you know, a, a tougher opponent than Joel Alvarez, in my opinion, because because he's a much better fighter overall than what Alvarez brings to the table, right? We know Alvarez. He goes out there, gets that finish early, or guys are able to grind him out and eventually either finish him like Armand did or grind him out, take him to a decision like Demir Ismagulov did. But here with Matos Gamrat, solid grappler, decent striker, but you got to believe that Armand Sarukin will likely be the one that's ahead of the grappling exchanges, which is where I think the majority of this fight will take place. I would honestly be surprised if either guy goes out there and gets a submission victory over the other one, but I'm expecting this to remain relatively competitive over five rounds. And even though uh, Armand is in that minus 280-ish range, I do believe he is the rightful favorite. I do believe he'll come out with uh, his hand raised here. But I think a perfect example of why we play odds and not fighters is this past weekend of Calvin Cater and, and Josh Emmett. We knew it was going to be a close fight. We knew uh, Cater deserved to be the, the bigger favorite, or, or sorry, to, to be the favorite in that fight. Should he have been a minus 240 favorite? Who knows? But the fact that the fight played out as closely as most people predicted it to, betting-wise, the money should have been on the Josh Emmett side. You know, I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar of having Calvin Cater in a couple parlays, you know, lottery tickets and all that type of stuff. But Josh Emmett made that fight as close as most, you know, some people expected that to be and prove that odds do matter at the end of the day, right? So it, it's tough for me to go out there and plant my flag in the ground and say that Sarukian is, you know, the, the lock of the night or anything like that, especially at this price tag. But I still favor him to win, man. It's It's very tough to pass on a guy that has such a complete grappling game that Sarukian has. He's he's so good at implementing it. His cardio seems to be on par, right? This is going to be the first time he's going to be forced to go five rounds. So we'll see how that holds up with an extra 10 minutes of uh, competing. Whereas on the Gamrot side, you know, he's done the five-round thing a couple of times in KSW. So he already has that experience coming into this fight against Armand. But 
I do, it's hard for me to pick against Armand in this situation. I do think he'll be the better wrestling uh, MMA fighter here, essentially. I believe he'll be able to get those takedowns when he needs to. I think he can get some control time going from on top. But I think he's going to have to land multiple takedowns in this fight to find success and to get his hand raised here. This will be a tough one for him. And it'll definitely be a test considering that he's going to have to fight 10 minutes longer than he's used to here. But I do think he's up to stuff here. I do think there's a reason a lot of people expect him to fight for a title in the very near future. And I think this is a, a, a pretty much another uh, point for him to go out there and prove that against a very tough opponent in um, Pausch Gamrat. If this remains a 50-minute or 25-minute kickboxing fight, I got to lean Gamrat as I do think he's the slightly more complete striker here. But this is MMA, Cody. There's, there's a reason it's MMA and not just kickboxing. And I think for that reason alone, Armand will be able to drag this into grappling more often than not and get uh, his hand raised. The spots that I'm liking... I do think this goes the full 25 minutes. You know, both these guys are coming off of finishes. I think Gamrot's on a finishing streak right now, if I'm not mistaken. But fight goes to decision at minus 105. I don't mind that. Over four and a half, minus 120. I don't mind that either. I expect it to be competitive. I don't expect many finishing opportunities for either side. Give me uh, Sarukian. Sarukian by decision, which is currently plus 170. Uh, what are you feeling about this fight? Yeah, I'm nervous about this fight. I just don't think the line's right. I mean, Sarukian's everybody's darling. I agree. I think he's an ultra prospect. Fights Islam Makachev. He's 22 years old when he fought Islam Makachev. Since then, he's just getting better and better. His grappling's good. His wrestling's good. His cardio seems to check out. Durability's on point. His last two fights, the Giagos fight and the Joel Alvarez fight, you see definitely improvements to his striking game. And now he's got that knockout power to boot. So, yeah, there's a lot of great things that you can like about Armin Sarukian. Definitely a very bright prospect, but is it a little too much too late or a little too much too soon? He's only 25, right? Now he's getting slotted into a main event spot, five-round fight against Matus Gamrod, a, a two-division world champion over in KSW who has fought five rounds, who is extremely durable. He's never been finished. He's got one career loss, and it was a highly debatable split decision. The guy's an animal. They talk about grappling advantage. Oh, this kid's a better wrestler than Matus Gamrod. Well, how do you figure? Like Matus Gamrod's an excellent grappler. Shows a 100% takedown defense in the UFC. That's not the problem. He hasn't really fought great grapplers in the UFC. But on his KSW days, like, nobody grapples. This guy's a stud. He competed at the ADCC against Gary Tonon and went seven minutes with the guy. He's a high-level BJJ black belt. His ground game's on point. His wrestling's on point. His fight with Carlos Diego Ferreira. Carlos Diego Ferreira is a third-degree Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Gamrot took him down whenever he wanted, four times. Took him down, grinded on him, leaned on him. That's all good stuff. So... If you believe that Gamrock can win a striking battle against uh, against this opponent, all he's got to do is keep the fight standing. Well, then, yeah, he's a live underdog because I'm kind of thinking the same thing. Gamrock's striking's not good, but it's not bad. He doesn't throw a whole lot of volume. He's kind of one and done, maybe a two-punch combination at most. But with Saruki and just I haven't really seen him fight five rounds. I haven't seen him, you know, have to throw a whole lot. The fights with Joel Alvarez, he knocks him out. You can get away with only landing 30 significant strikes and the guy topples over. Against Gamera on a five-round fight, you're gonna have to hit him 100 significant times. I just don't know that the kid's gonna go out and do that. In terms of the wrestling, can he go out there and take Matus Gamera down? Potentially, sure, but he's gonna have to work for it. It's not gonna be easy. And I mean, this is a guy that took down Matt Frivola 10 times because Matt Frivola would just get back up, right? So who's to say Gamrot's not going to do the same thing? Now, Gamrot at his best, five-round cardio, and that's going to be a real big factor here. Look at the Gruom Kudelitz fight. Loses the first. Second round's a little closer. Third round, it's all Gamrot. Guy's got great cardio. 
But I'll admit that last fight with Carlos Diego Ferreira, it was a lot of grappling in the first. And in the second, Gamerol looked tired. Now he does finish him, rib injury. I don't know. Maybe it was a TKO due to punches. Maybe it was that rear naked choke he slapped on as the ref was trying to say, dude, stop. But uh, regardless, it was like Gamerol is sturdy. He's durable. He can wrestle. He can grapple. He's got a good chin. He may have a slight striking advantage. He's been in those world championship rounds before. Why is he this big of an underdog? It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. So I feel like I want to go Tsurukian, but I feel like the line should be Tsurukian minus 135, minus 145. Like in my mind, this is a close fight, and the line doesn't seem to agree with that. So the two ways I would look to attack it would be I would try to improve Tsurukian's price tag by going him by decision. But beyond that, just the fight goes distance. I think if Gamrot wins, he's going to neutralize him, outstrike him ever so slightly on the feet, stuff the takedowns. And if it goes the other way with Saruki, he could hurt Gamra early. We saw Guram Kudalit hurt him early. We saw Carlos Diego Ferrer land a couple of decent rice hands. Like maybe he could hurt him, but putting him away is a way different animal. So yeah, I kind of have to see it go down in real time, but I'm leaning towards like a, a slight lean towards Tarukian and that the fight goes the distance, that being the best prop. The way I may attack this thing, and last week I should have done the same shit. Cater's on the top line, right? We like Cater. Is Cater your best pick on the card? No, but it's the main event, so we can hedge out. The problem was goddamn Kyle Dokus. And when he shit in the pie oh. on the very first fight on the fucking card, that ruined a lot of the parlays. So now I just had to let it ride. I had to let it ride on Calvin Cater, and I thought he won, but he didn't. So it, it's okay. Like, it's something you have to come to terms with. Don't be one of those guys that messages Julian Marquez. Like, what the fuck come are you doing, on. man? That yeah, was man. such a dick move. That's the lowest of the low. It truly is. So I'm not going to cry over spilt milk or whatever. He won. He lost. Tyson Chartier, he's right pissed about it. But it was a close fight. That's the bottom line. It's a close fight. Could go either way. The lines were not necessarily right. All that shit you said, it's exactly true about this fight. If it's going to be a close fight and it's going to be competitive, the other guy's got is going to have moments. It really comes down to who the judges are. You could end up getting a bad split decision going the other way. This is not lying like a pick em fight. It's lying like Sarukin's going to smoke right through him, and I think a lot of that is bias. I think a lot of that is, man, I really like this guy. He fought Islam Makachev competitively in his debut, and since then he's been, he's been a wrecking machine. Wrecking machine against a certain level of competition. Gamrot will bring out the best of them, and we'll see if he sinks or swim when that becomes the case. I love it. It's a big show me spot for both guys. They have a plot or or the stage to go out there and showcase. They're both the main event. Now's their time to uh, lay claim to that top five of the division because whoever comes out on top here, I'd be surprised if we never see a top five ranking beside their name in the next uh, six months after this. All right, that is a wrap on the breakdowns here. Let's get into the cloud bet special props that they got offered for you guys, and then we'll get into our three best prop bets. Let me just share the screen here real quick with you guys. So a couple uh, sexy props that we got here for you guys. First of which is the hype train wins. So that includes Sarukian, Rachmanov, and Nurmagomedov. You can choose whether all three win. You'll get minus 106 on that. Or if only two win, plus 129. If one wins, plus 760. And if none of them win, plus 10,400. <laughs> so if you want to be that ballsy guy that plays uh, that thinks none of them wins, that's the, the prop that you can go with. Again, it doesn't matter how many of, or sorry, uh, which ones of them win. It depends as many of them win, uh, depending on which one you select, uh, if that makes sense. All right. Uh, secondly, total uh, successful takedowns for Armand Saruk. And I'll ask you here, uh, Cody, over under three and a half. How many takedowns do you think he succeeds on? 
<laughs> I'm seeing under. It's a five-round fight, but, like, again, has anybody seen Gamron get dominated in wrestling before? Like, I haven't, so I still need to see it. But uh, I'm, I'm going to say the under three and a half. There you go. Uh, total completed rounds. So you might have to do some quick uh, math in your head right now if you want to pull it up. But uh, CloudBet has it set at 23 and a half rounds that we get out of all 12 fights. What are you thinking here? Okay, so we're going to get three out of the out of Jinyu Frey versus Demopolis. You'll get probably three out of Keller Herbatista. You're probably going to get two out of Bais versus Durden. So we're looking at eight, uh, nine, ten after Morozov Pava. 13, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. I'm going to guess about 26, 27. What was the line set at? 23 and a half. So over 23 and a half. I would take the over, yeah. Minus 125 for the over 23 and a half. Unless it's like last week where everyone gets melted in a minute. I think we get some (laughs) rounds this time around. Yeah, we we should see it. Uh, Especially with the fact they're not in front of a crowd this weekend. I mean, I feel like that did have something to do with it last week and the fighters just being energized to finally compete in front of a crowd. Uh, But we'll see if it uh, slows down the pace now that they're back at the apex. Uh, Total submissions is over under two and a half. What are you thinking here? Over under two and a half. Well, I'm going to say the under because the submission artists here are Vanessa Demopoulos. I just don't think she snags <laughs> one up. I think I think JP Buys could snag one up, right? I think TJ Brown could snag one up. Jafon and Jaquie could snag one up. Of course, Rodolfo Vieira, most people would tell you he could. Umar could. Ah, maybe you take the over on that one. It's two yeah. and a half. Like, yeah, submissions I'll be right don't there. often. That's the thing. But, but yeah, straight up, Shaft got Rockmanov. Right. <laughs> Diago- this is like there's a lot of good submission guys on this card, so uh, I think I'd take the over. I'll take it the over on two and a half. You know oh. what? Last week we got a bunch of first round KOs. This week we got first round <laughs> over two and a half. Since I'm minus one twenty five for anybody interested, there you guys go. We got two more props to go over here, Cody, and then I'll let you go. Uh, total knockouts over under three and a half. I'm going to go with the over on the knockouts. Again, I think probably get some later round knockouts. But for me, my money's worth. I got Rockman off for the knockout. I've got potentially Umar Nurmagomedov, unless he snags him with the submission after that. But Chris Curtis with the knockout. Yeah, uh, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe about three, three knockouts. Minus 120. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's going to be three knockouts and three submissions. So you would hit the under <laughs> on the knockouts and the over on submissions. There you go. Get the hook on both of them there. Uh, actually, I do have a couple more props here that we'll quickly get through. Uh, fastest finish, who are you expecting it to be? Full card. Full card, fastest finish. I'm going to go with uh, Shafkat Rachmanov. And sorry, that uh, main card, if it's Rachmanov, you're going to get uh, plus 550. Let me just quickly change the slide here to the next one. For the full card, if you still go with Rachmanov, is plus 1100. And then the last one, fight of the night. Which fight do you think takes fight of the night? Fight of the night, I'm going to go with. There's a, there's a couple of them, man. There's a couple I know, of them I know. You know what I would say? I would say Morozov versus Pava. Like, Morozov yeah. brings it, and then he tends to falter down the stretch, and Pava just takes a whole lot of shots. It's pretty know, exciting, man. right? And then he'll either topple over and they'll win fight of the night, or he'll take everything and hit Morozov with something good and topple him over. And plus a 1,000, dude, this is going to be a pretty entertaining fight. Uh, yeah, sign me up for that one. 
Yeah, I got Bayes, Durden, plus 1,200. Morozov, Paiva, plus 1,000. Maness, Nermagomedov, plus 1,200 could be a sneaky one if Maness can, you know, outperform his odds a little bit. Even if he comes out on the losing end, he can make that thing very interesting. I'll tell you one thing. They got Olberg versus Injikui as plus 600. Who come up with that one? Yeah, that, that's, that's an that, In my one. opinion, that's the worst fight on the card. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's the odds on favor for being fight of the night, but man, prove me wrong. I've been wrong many times before. Uh, our guy Nathan in the comment section is saying he's going to go with Magni Rachmanov at plus 1100. Yeah, true, yeah. Could be good. And one guy's got a 100% finish ratio. Neil Magny's just a perennial good gatekeeper. Yeah, it could lead to, you know, pushing him, it, it getting to some later rounds, some exciting moments. So I would say I was also tempted on Gamrot Saruki. And like, if Gamrot meets him in the mm. center of the cage and pushes him, this kid's going to have to dig down and find another level, which he's possible, possibly capable of. Or Gamrot breaks him, right? In a five-round situation, you saw last week it was Calvin Cater uh, versus Emmett with the fight of the night. Five rounds always means more. There's more drama. There's more on the line. There's more. The guys get tired and they need to dig deep and there's bigger moments. So I would say that's probably live as well. Yeah, no, I, I'd have to agree with that. All right, let's get to the three best prop bets and then we'll wrap this thing up. I'll kick it off as always. First of which, Saruki and Gamrot fight goes to decision minus 105. I'm expecting it to be very competitive for both guys to go out there. And, uh, you know, I think the vast majority of this fight will be based in the grappling realm, which should allow this fight to go uh, the full 25 minutes, allow it to slow down a little bit um, and, and have that pace where we likely won't get a finish here. So minus 105, even though over four and a half, in case you guys want that uh, two and a half round or sorry two and a half minute kind of uh leeway there uh i believe that's currently hanging around minus 120 minus 130 i think that's a damn good spot as well uh next up uh and Chukui by decision plus 375 this one kind of stuck out to me considering his his fighting style right like either he's going to knock you out quickly or he'll just break you down slowly throughout a fight and i think that's what's going to happen here it might be a little bit uh tough for him early with the speed advantage that i expect carlos albrecht to have but as this fight starts to drag on i think it starts to pull away whether it's with his grappling or his stalking style of striking where he just marches down his opponents and just chips away at them and then lastly, I'm going to go with the Nurmagomedov and Nate Maness. Fight doesn't go to the decision. Chalky at minus 200, but I think that both guys have finishing opportunities. I think Nurmagomedov is just miles ahead, better than Maness on the ground. Uh, and I think he'll be able to either find a submission or a ground and pound uh, or club in some situation is absolutely possible. Or Maness, if his takedown defense and his get-ups hold true like they have over his last two fights, maybe even three fights, it could produce a knockout in his own right. So uh, minus 200, I don't mind it. I'm expecting violence, uh, and I'm willing to pay the chalk on it. Cody, you're up, my friend. All right, we're starting off with a little Chris Curtis versus KO, minus 120. Now, we've hit the Chris Curtis by KO the last two times we've been playing the props on him, and now they're just not giving you the same juices. <laughs> but all the same, I think he gets the job done. <clears throat> if you do want to get a little more bold with this, I would suggest trying to chase that second or third round finish. I think second round's plus 600, third round's plus 1,000. I think they're both live, but Action Man gets the job done. Moving on, we are going to hit up. Forget it's not loading here, maybe. Oh, um, my bad. Yeah, no, go all good. It. I got it written down. Oh, yeah, buys versus Jordan. Fight doesn't go the distance. Minus 115. I think a lot of us are on the same page. I think uh, Cody Durden's probably got enough firepower staying to clip JP. But uh, they call him Bays, buys, whatever. It's uh, he might be. Yeah, you might be able to clip JP Bays and put him away, but I think JP Bays's wrestling is going to start to come out in this fight. He's going to tire Durden out. Once Durden gets tired, he's going to snap up the guillotine. You don't really care who wins as long as one of them finishes the other guy. So I got JP Bays winning inside the distance. And to play it safe, I would say 115 on both sides. If Cody Durden does win, though, I would like odds. Maybe maybe Cloudback could put odds to this. 
Will Cody Durden say on the microphone, I'm sending him back to South Africa? And will people freak out calling him a racist? Who knows? You got to stay tuned for that one. And then finally, our main prop, or a big prop here, shot caught rocking off by KO, plus 150. No disrespect to Neil Magny. I know what he brings to the table, but you can also see him slowing down ever so slightly. Max Payne Griffin hurting him his last time. That was a bad sign. Him struggling as much with range and striking. Now getting in there with the, with the young, hungry prospect, a guy that's just kind of lighting the MMA world on fire right now. I think it's a tough task. I think if you're the UFC, you know what you have in Magni, a good gatekeeper, a guy that's been around the block, but a guy that's never really broken into your top five. And with Rachmanov, nobody really wants to fight him. They're having trouble getting matchups for the guy. But beyond that, you could put this guy to total contention within the next couple of fights. What he needs to do is he needs to be good North American guys with big names so that the North American audience can gravitate towards him. Beating Neil Magny would do a lot for him. That's kind of the issue in that main event with Sarukian versus Gamera is that, uh, you know, I guess Gamera beat Jeremy Stevens, but for the most part, both guys have been flying under the radar in terms of those big gratifying wins. And that's why they need one. That's why you put them in a main event to try to give them that spotlight so that when you flip them through a pay-per-view and you see one of these guys challenging for a title, you're not going to be like, who, who, you would never think that. I would never think that. If you're watching this show right now, guarantee you would never think that. But it goes back to that casual fan mentality. I'm not calling anybody a casual fan. I'm just saying uh, to sell a million pay-per-views, you need the casuals to get on board, right? Because the hardcores are only going to sell 150, 200,000, right? So it's always that 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 next step beyond. Uh, the Jake Paul, Logan Paul, they can sell a lot because you got like that that average demographic bringing them in. Gamrot versus Tarukian, they don't got that. It's one of those fights that might be flying under the radar, but it's a great fight. Rachmanov, he's going to have the same problem. He needs to go out there. He needs to beat legitimate competition, make a name for himself, get the finishes. I think he's capable of doing all that. So plus 150, I think this is coming out party, and uh, I don't mind that one bit. I love it. I love it. I can't wait for this card. Unfortunately... For the third time this month, I'm not going to be able to catch it live as I have a wedding to go to, but I definitely will catch up on it when I'm able to get back home and, you know, watch it with the sober eye. I tried watching. I remember uh, last week I tried watching the card and I was shit face and I just couldn't focus. And I believe, uh, uh, yeah, I forgot which fight it was, but I just could not focus. Or I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'll leave this for when I'm sober. So we'll see what happens uh, this weekend. But Cody's going to be busy as well. I'm not sure if he'll be able to catch the fights live as he'll have his own uh, MMA event that he's going to be going to uh, that he's matchmaking for. Obviously, it hasn't panned out the way he had hoped, but he's still going to be getting some fights this weekend. Cody, I'd love for you to uh, plug anything you can for that. So if there's anybody in or around that Niagara Falls region that can come attend it, they'll know what to do. So please let them know. Yeah, tickets are on sale now. You can check it out. If you just want to stay home and watch the fights as well, I mean, it is live on Fight TV. But yeah, the card's taking a beating, and the promoter's a super good guy. I mean, him and his business partner, Jack, have uh, put a lot of resources into the card. It's just a shame that things are not working out for them because uh, yeah, I know how passionate they are about it. And it's just difficult getting two grown men to get medicals and agree to fight each other. And imagine, imagine you meet somebody for the first time, right? It's like, oh, cool. You exchange numbers and whatever. And this person calls you once a day, but imagine you're dealing with 30 full grown men, which I am. So I'm getting 30 calls every single day from, from everything. This guy, oh, he wants to change out his walkout music. Oh, I need to change my walkout music. This guy wants to catch away to 140 because he's a little heavy. Oh, this guy's coach. He's not able to travel that day. I might not have a coach. Oh, this guy wants to come two days before away. And so could you book a hotel early? It's just fucking bullshit. All this fucking bullshit, right? But similar to them, I can't fucking quit, right? I, I can't quit. A lot of them have quit on me, but I'm not going to quit on them. So you put your big boy pants on, you get right back at it. And same thing on Twitter. You know, I fuck, I blew a parlay. You know, I'm upset with myself. I get it. And you can call me a jerk off on Twitter. I don't fucking give a shit, right? Because like, <laughs> what's the option? I'm going to fucking quit. I'm going to fucking hang myself. No, no. Put your fucking big boy pants on. You can get fucking get at it. If you are thinking about hanging yourself, by the way, talk to somebody, right? It's cool to talk to people. All good. 
not taking a shot at anybody dealing with depression, just saying sometimes you just got to fucking get over it and keep going. So that's the main thing. But I will tell you this, right? When we made all that big money, we made that $160,000 when times were the best of times. The best thing we did was we bought a $50,000 racehorse. Now it was a baby, <laughs> looked like an iffy proposition at the time. Fuck, he's coming along good, man. He baby raced this week or he schooled this week. Fucking one by seven lines. Look big, look strong. He's dropped about five more seconds, but by early July, he might be racing $100,000 races. So fingers crossed. Life can't all be that bad. But to all my DOP guys, you guys have just been the real rock. You know what I mean? Always good things to say. A lot of positivity. Always supporting the show. If I jump on Man Preach Show. You guys support it. If I do anything, you guys support it. You know, I can't do wrong in your guys' eye. And, and having that kind of respect from you guys uh, really does mean a lot. So if you're tuning in the show to support me, to support Man Preach, to support us, to support the endeavors, uh, it truly does mean a lot. So as much bad things might happen in your life there's always good things happening as well i'm just appreciative for that there you guys go mma will always bring out the best in people as well uh the ones that are jerk offs will obviously be able to show themselves and we can know how to distance ourselves from them, those guys as well dude think about this julian marquez is like a fringe top 25 guy and that many people are willing to send a random dude death threats that's commitment baby you guys got his back and i'm the same way Errol hawani called me a schlub Death threats there, <laughs> right? So, I mean, the guy, the guys, the guys are good guys. They got my back. They got your back, and uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for everything, really. Awesome, awesome. All right, uh, make sure you guys show Cody love as always at CJ Saftik on Twitter. You guys can follow me obviously at MMALOTN on Twitter. Make sure you guys follow the All Star on social media aspects as well, or, or their social media accounts. I believe it is the All Star Sports. So make sure you guys go follow them. All the links to that stuff is in the description below as well. Make sure you guys check out CloudBet. You guys saw all the fun props that we were able to make up for this upcoming card. You guys can take full advantage of that by signing up to CloudBet in the description below. And then lastly, shout out to Bet Online once again for uh sponsoring the show you guys can sign up with them with the link in the description below as well i've already laid out why they're one of the best mma sports books out there as well all right good luck on your bets this weekend folks um we will be back next week for the big ufc 276 card israel adesanya against jared cannonier i believe alexander volkanovsky versus max hallway co-main event as well good god i'm getting fired up just thinking about that card i can't wait to break it down with my guy cody again same time, same place next week. Actually, same day, same place next week. We always shift the, the time a little bit uh, on Thursdays. But for sure, you know, Thursdays is when you guys can expect propping you up. So I'll see you guys next week. Good luck on your bets. And uh, usually I end this with like war or somebody, right? I'm trying to think of who we agreed on the most this card. Who did we agree on the most, Cody? Who Was did it, we uh... agree on the most? I am going to say, well, we both agreed on JP buys pretty good. Uh, if you go. want to say war action, man, I wouldn't tell okay, you not you know to what? because no, he is the, the action man. For the culture, let's go war Chris Curtis, the action man. Go out there and knock out uh, Rodolfo Vera and make some people some money. Good luck, folks.